The Jason Cabinets Experience is sponsored by Cabinets HR. Cabinets HR delivers HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States with our platform that automates HR products and services while giving you access to a dedicated HR business partner for more complicated HR challenges. Small business loses an estimated $10,000 per employee per year because of unreliable HR. Small business owners are spending an average of 25% of the time on HR, time that would be better spent taking care of their people, their customers, and building their business. Cavernous HR saves small business owners time and money on, on their HR. Sign up at www.cavernousHR.com or email me at jasoncavernous at cavernousHR.com to learn more. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. This is the Jason Cavernous Experience, hosted by Jason Cavernous. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Cabinet Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet. Here at Cabinet HR, we'll launch a crowdfunding campaign on the refunded platforms on June 1st. For more info, go to www.refunder.com com slash HR. Our guest today is Terry Gilbert. Terry, you ready to be great today? Oh, yes. Terry, what do you do for either for fun or for your hobbies? Oh, wow. That's like softball that's a question. It's, it's softball, softball question. question. Exactly. Yes. Um, so I, uh, well, I'm a, uh, I'm a science communicator, I guess. Right. You know, I, I have a, I do my own consulting uh, and mostly I do that so that I can, do stuff that I love to do intellectually and, uh, and then have time for all the other things that I like to do. Um, I love to garden. I have chickens and a lot of animals. I love to cycle. I, uh, I love to camp. I read all, uh, I read a lot. Um, so there's, there's, uh, I figure we can talk about a lot of that stuff. Right. But, um, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm on a, a unique kind of spiritual journey. So I like to do some li- literally shamanic journeying. That's another thing that I do in my, my, I don't know, one of the things I love to do. I don't, it's a hobby, I guess you could call it, you know? Um, uh, but you know, what I do, what I do for my business is, um, I help people talk about complex things. So, so raising chickens or gardening, is that for fun? Do you actually raise it for food or? <laughs> I, uh, do you have like one of those yards, like 25 chickens no, and a garden in it? No, we've only got five chickens now, but and that was definitely a pandemic project. You know, it's uh, it's amazing how meditative chickens are. Shocking. You know, it was like, you know, during all of the stress about that, I would go and sit in my backyard and my chickens would roost on me and there was nothing that could that could mess with me mentally when that was happening. So, so you live like in the rural area or? No, I live in West Seattle. Do you? Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm guessing y'all don't have a homeowner association. No, 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 exactly. Right. You know, so yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's kind of suburban, you know, in Seattle, it's a, uh, you know, it's right on a bus line, but you know, it was one of those, you know, we wanted to find a place big enough for, for the whole family. I've got three kids and my mom lives with us. And, uh, and so to find something big enough like that, you kind of had to move out of the, move out of the city. It's still in the city limits, but you know, yeah. my kids complained cause they said it was out of Seattle. So. <laughs> 
So how many, I mean, just one off, like how many eggs do chicken lay a day? Is it the same number every day or varies? Yeah, it's, um, well, we've got two bantams and they, they're, they're good for like two to three a week, except when they're broody. Right. And so, and they're, you know, they're the little chickens and they, they lay cute little eggs. And then we've got three regular size chickens and they lay one a day okay. and in the, in the, uh, uh, in the long, on the long days. Right. So they, they actually stop laying. I don't, I don't keep a light on so that they lay all, all, all through the year. Yeah. So it's, I'm so guessing, and yeah, I'm guessing y'all eat the eggs, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I have to imagine that there's like a real big difference in taste as far as like a one day egg out of the chicken versus store ball, right? Absolutely. It's huge. You know, uh, my kids, when they go uh, visit, you know, my daughter's job is, uh, is to house sit. And so she's, when she's hanging out at other people's houses and they still have eggs, she's like, it's just not the same. <laughs> right. So they, <laughs> they steal as many eggs as they can. Yeah. yeah so. so you're going to keep, keep the chickens for a while? Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I love having them around and, they get along pretty well with the dog and, you know, the cats, the cats are the same size. Yeah. Well, the last dog we had, you know, they def definitely thought of them as food. So we had yeah. to fence them apart. But now the, now the big chickens, they come into the big yard because the grass is greener. So when I, when you take an egg from the chicken, do you like try to stop you or anything? Cause you're basically like taking the child from them or is this? It's no, there, you know, some people apparently have really aggressive chickens and, and I don't, right. You know, I, you know, I, pick up my check-ins and one of them doesn't like me to pet them, but I pet the other ones and, <laughs> and the little ones, um, the little ones are broody right now. So they, you know, they scream, <laughs> they scream when I take them off the eggs. Right. And it's not really screaming. It's actually cute little cooing noises, yeah. but yeah. So, so there's one thing you didn't say and I asked that question, like, what do you, what do you do for fun? You're the first one who didn't say hiking. Everyone else is hiking. That's funny. I, cause I walk every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, even we've got that Duwamish green belt mm. and, uh, and okay. I've even, I've even take the, taken the dog into areas I shouldn't have gone. And so, you know, she came back, she's, she's a white, uh, Siberian Husky and she came back completely Brown and I came back with mud up to my, my thighs. So I do, I, I okay. of course I like hiking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, mean, the outer right. I know. Right. It's like, yeah. it's, it's like, that's just like the normal thing. Right. You know, you yeah. buy groceries, you go hiking. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a scientist? Um, I think basically if you're curious, if you're curious about something and then take a systematic view to try and understand what it is. Right. And so there's the, you know, there's the scientific method, you know, develop a hypothesis, do experiments, do that whole thing. But I think um, I like I encourage kids to like just explore their curiosity you know, like to, to keep asking the question why. And so, um, and, and, you know, I'm not, I have a pedigree, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not married to it. And I don't think people need to have like, you know, I'm, you know, I went to school forever and ever because I never wanted to leave, but, you know, and I watched people, you know, hang out in college because they were supposed to, and they hated it. And I was like that, you don't have to do that. You, you could do something without a college degree. Um, you know, and then, and then of course my kids have got, got their own stories. My daughter never went to college. Uh, she's thinking about going back now cause she keeps getting told that it would be better for her if she went to college, but you know, she's not really sure what she wants to go for. And then I had two kids in college at the beginning of the pandemic and then no kids in college at the end, of, at the end of the pandemic. So, cause that was just, the pandemic was hard. <laughs> so, so as a scientist, what responsibility does scientists have to the general public? Um, I, I think that scientists need to know how to communicate because it's, you know, it's not just, 
it's not just for knowledge sake, although some people, that's why they do it. It's like they're, you know, I've had people who they would perform an experiment and then they would just revel in that they knew something that nobody else in the world knew, like just like that part, which is fine. You know, it's, you know, it's an intellectual pursuit. It's a, you know, one of those things that gives you pleasure. Um, But I think scientists need to be able to talk about what they do and the relevance of what they do. And I, and by relevance, I don't mean, is this going to make me money, right? I'm not at all out of that kind of relevance, but like being able to explain to people why they're doing what they're doing, right? And and um, like being able to do the big picture. And not a lot of scientists are good at doing that, um, which is one of the reasons why I went into science communication, because I didn't, I, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't important to me what science I was doing, but I loved being able to talk about science and what, what it, what it provides for people and, and how they can apply it in their own life, things like that. So that's, so I think being able to communicate, right. And then also to, um, there's, there's a whole world about, um, like, the the funding structure that we have now and you know and scientists who go into academia and being able to get tenure which is the you know which is the 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 holy grail right you get tenure and you can never be fired although that's not it's not really the case but you know that that um when they start doing like doing whatever they can to forward them forward themselves, like forward their power or forward forward their empire or forward, you know what people. <laughs> forward what people think of them, right? That you know that's. Um, I think that when you start. Um, has what's the best way to say this? When you have a lack of integrity. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. I I put my phone on. Do yeah, not disturb for that the, one. Uh, yeah, my phone is on. Do not disturb. Oh yeah, there's if there's people on your list that are emergency. Well, this is a, a bank. A bank. bank. Yeah, that's so I don't know how to speak it through. Oh, wow. Scammers are getting good these days, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So off the subject, so. I'll come back to what you say first. Yeah. So a while ago, my daughter called, sent me a message, right? Hey, I'm changing my number, right? Just so you know. Okay, no problem. Three days later, I got a number from her area code. Oh, must be my daughter with no number. It was like a scammer. It might be a coincidence, but man, like, you're, you're good. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. you're, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah it's amazing the, the, uh, the things that come up on my phone after I've just been talking about it. So. So, um, yeah, so there's forwarding, forwarding your position is um, really not, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess, you know, human scientists are human beings, right? And there's always jerks, human beings, like there's a whole range, right, of experience, right? And so, um, but, but um, uh, doing something like, having a lack of integrity and forwarding yourself, you know, I don't think that should happen, right? You know, doing, doing science to, to forward, uh, forward your company's product or, um, or even doing science to forward your own idea, right? That was one of the, that was one of the things that I got really disillusioned by at one point, you know, one, one of the things I got, you know, disillusioned by was, you know, I, I wanted to, 
I became a scientist because I wanted to find the truth, right? And then I realized you're not finding the truth. You're just finding stuff out. And um, and I was one of the things that got me really upset was that people really don't, really don't care, care about evidence, right? That, that whole thing. And uh, I was like, well, what's the point of having evidence if people don't care about it? And then the other one was um, uh, that... Um, when when you're when you found the result to an experiment right you've got the result and then and then people do what people always do is they interpret it right and i and i watched the exact same result get interpreted in two completely different opposing ideas and i was like wow there's no yeah there's no anything to support their own personal bias yeah yeah and sometimes you don't do it on purpose right you know that's the whole unconscious bias thing but um to just to forward your to forward your ideas and you know that's you know some people are just smart enough to be dangerous with you know yeah I know one criticism of a lot of people are, are scientists are doing pandemic like a lot of them had this like came across so arrogant like I'm the scientist don't question what I'm doing I know better than you yeah. right yeah and first of all like it kills me when people say don't question science right you're, you're supposed to question science right, <laughs> right. isn't that the background of science question yeah. the science yes yeah, it's, it's question the science absolutely right and, and um and I I I think there is there is arrogance that goes into you know like being intelligent right i mean i know, you know you're smart course, you're, right? you're, hopefully you're smarter than most of us right well, you know like yeah on, 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 at yeah. least in your discipline anyway yeah but there's so much nuance right like there's so much nuance in in stuff right and you know i was studying a, a particular receptor and i was i was mutating that receptor so that we could understand what that receptor was doing when it was in that confirmation right it was like there's so much nuance into it in in all of it and um, and so there's there's an element of of uh, if there is nuance, right? And I think that's that's part of the reason why some scientists aren't good at communicating science because there's so much nuance that you don't want to go into the weeds because then you know people just you know just go to sleep, <laughs> right? But there's but you want to be able to uh, at least communicate it in such a way that. Um, that uh, lay people can understand it, right? And and then you know when things get politicized, like that's that's just BS, right? Because you if you want to if you want to talk about the nuance, right? You know I would I'd have a lot of a lot of moms talk to me about vaccination because you know that's like it's the immune system is is complex, right? You know that was the that was the first class I ever took where. I thought I aced it and I got like a 60% on it. I was shocked. Right. And then I was, you know, because I loved learning, I was like, okay, let's go into this more because clearly I thought I understood something when I didn't. Right. And the immune system is like that. So, you know, that's, and so there's, yeah, question the science, but you know, don't, don't have it be an accusation when you, when you like, I think that's where people start getting, like when you when you, when you have to defend something, this is we're not we don't want to defend anything. We really do want to like ask all of the different questions, and and people would come back with, well, there's these there's these results that are you know there's these things that we're seeing, you know like with the with the COVID vaccine that was that was fascinating as for as a scientist to watch all of that happen because you know the the COVID vaccine is the the most studied vaccine ever. Right. We had so many people that were yeah, worldwide, right? Right. Like, worldwide. Like millions of people were taking the vaccine. You know, nobody gets that kind of a trial. Nobody gets that kind of a trial. Right. And, um, you know, and it's also when you're when you're doing a vaccine trial, it's 
it's almost if it's like if it's like a life saving thing, it's almost unethical not to give the vaccine, right? You know, like you know, like for placebo trials, like we're we're just going to give you protein, right? We're just going to give you the protein as opposed to giving you the vaccine, right? But you know, with the co with COVID, it was awesome. We had plenty of people who didn't want to take the vaccine, so we had lots of controls. It was awesome, right? You know, so sci- you know, scientists can also get morbid, right? You know, yeah, I know a lot of scientists. Like I think maybe they need to be more transparent, right? Like, I mean, this might be an example, but I remember Dr. Fauci, I think that's just how you say his name. Yeah. He, he remember he said, uh, you don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. But the re- re- rumor is because they need it for the medical people. Right. People just said that, hey, don't wear a mask, you know, for people really need it. I think everyone was okay, cool, we got it. Yeah. And when you get some mask work, but he just, he just put, and then I think his credibility well, just was got, destroyed take, after that. Well, things got taken out of context too, right? You know, there was a lot of, a lot of things where, um, it, you know, it's, it's just the half of what was, was said, right. You know, or like maybe the whole conversation was, was about, look, we don't have any, we don't have any PPE for the medical. So, and we don't really need it for us. And, you know, it turns out that the cloth mask didn't work that well anyway, but yeah. you know, it was better than nothing yeah. at the time. Right. So yeah, it was scary. You remember, I like, I forget about how scary it was when that, when COVID first started spreading all over the place. I know when I first started, like they, we seen all the images of Italy, like getting destroyed, you know, like, oh shit, that's coming here. Like what we got to do, you know? Right. I mean, it was scary stuff. And like, I mean, as far as pandemics go, I mean, I think we got off pretty good, right? I yeah. Mean, that's based on stats, you know, of course people die. That's a bad thing. But based on stats, like we're, we're nowhere near like the black plague, the mid 1500s and nothing right. like that, you know, or the Spanish flu. Well, there's the whole thing about long COVID too, that a lot of people aren't taking into account. And, um, you know, the, there's, um, uh, you know, we don't, we still don't fully understand it. And there's a lot of things. There's a, there's a lot of symptoms of long COVID that look like things like fibromyalgia and, and, uh, medical conditions that people were just ignored about, you know, because it's like, it's, it's, it's bad. It's bad enough to like be, have a, a huge impact on the quality of life, but it's not, you're not dead. Right. And so, um, there's, there's a, a lot of people that are disabled now, like the, the quality, their quality of life is, com- is much lower because of long COVID, right. They can't breathe. They're exhausted. Right. You know, it's kind of invisible, invisible illnesses. Right. And so, you know, people sometimes wonder, you know, that they, it doesn't, it doesn't, in a lot of time, it, in a lot of cases, people don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And so, um, and I, and I do think it's going to be a major, major problem in the coming decades. So. So do you think COVID is, is pretty much like the flu now, like the flu, you don't get COVID every year, you have to get COVID shot with the flu shot every year? Well, uh, yeah, I think that's how that's, it's endemic, right? It's, it's always going to be around, um, you know, it, it's clearly you know, th- there's even in Seattle, right? There's not a whole lot of people wearing masks. My daughter still wears a mask everywhere she goes, and I wear a mask while I'm traveling. and And um, and part of the, and part of the reason I do that is not because uh, it's it's not because traveling is particularly dangerous. It's just that um, every time that I've gotten sick while I was traveling, it was because somebody sneezed on me or coughed on me, right? And then you know, when when you're traveling, you're going someplace for a purpose, so you got to be well. And I was like, wow, the masks for traveling, this is awesome. We should have been doing this for years, right? Because that was one of the worst times of, of when I would get sick, you know, just with the flu while I was traveling. So always while I'm traveling, now I yeah. wear a mask. One thing talking about policy, COVID I thought was funny, like people might not realize this, but the COVID was actually done under President Trump, right? 
But then he left office. Biden came in, and all the Republicans. I won't say all the Republicans, but most people are like, I don't, I don't, I don't trust this. But your guy did it. <laughs> well, I know he, my guy did it, but now President Biden's doing, it and we don't trust him. <laughs> right, right. I, it, you know, like the vaccine hasn't changed while de- delivering something, right? Right. I mean, the mental gymnastics people are doing on both sides of the political spectrum just insane. I know it's crazy, isn't it? So um, that's. That's that's one of the things that I do. So I'm I'm on the, I'm a board member for um, a nonprofit called Love Is My Religion, and um, we all all we do with this is we hold events, right? We hold uh, they're called Be Heard Roundtables, and what we do is we bring people across the political spectrum, you know, far right to far left, you know, Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, centrists, Democrats, you know, whatever you call it, socialists. We bring them all into a room and um, we have a a conversation over a hot topic, right? Like abortion or guns or policing or racism, LGBTQ. Um, And then we we just the, the whole purpose is not to change people's minds. The purpose is just to train ourselves to be in a conversation with somebody that we disagree with. And, you know, so, you know, we, we had one on, on climate, we just had one on climate change and our, um, on, and on labels and our next one's going to be about drugs, you know, but, um, but it really allows people to listen, right. And to, and, you know, cause we, t- we tell them this, the whole, the whole point of this event is for you to listen. And so, and cause we found that when people have the experience of being heard, right, they can let go of, you know, that people like hang on so tight to their opinions that they can start to relax, right? And then, you know, and the, and people are often shocked at the ends of the ends of the calls, because, because uh, we, we went, we went online entirely over um, during COVID, like everybody. And it turns out that it really works in a virtual environment to do this kind of conversation, and we can have people from all over the world come in. But um, people are usually shocked at you know, how to, you know, the, the things that they have in common with other people and, and just to see their preconceived notions get destroyed, you know, like on this last call, um, on labels, you know, we had, we had, uh, we had somebody who was talking about relationships that they were in and, you know, they were, they, they realized that their, the label that they should have is, uh, was, a was it, I think she said a, a solo polyamorist, Right. And, you know, because polyamory gets you know, all these weird things. And she's like, I'm not in like an, in a relationship. I just um, have sex with a bunch of people. Right. And um, and uh, one of the people is like, OK, so I, I understand where she is politically. Right. And then later on in the call, she says, I should probably stop calling myself a Republican. And, <laughs> and that woman, she said, you blew my mind when you said that. Right. So like there's a there's a whole world of just being able to be in conversation with people because people are so nuanced, right? They have, they are multifaceted, you know, and you know, this last call on labels, when you, when you label something, somebody, something, it just, it just makes them one dimensional. Right. And you can like, you somebody, somebody voted for Trump and you're like, Oh, I know all about you. <laughs> right. You know, or, you know, you know, somebody is, you know, polyamory, right. Oh, I know all about you. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I'm a believer. Like if you took anybody, I mean, supposed to like this 10 principles of the Democrat Party, 10 principles of Republicans. No one in the United States hits all 10 on either no. side, right? I mean, you might, maybe you might hit 9 on 1, maybe, or 82. But, no. man, if you're hitting all 10, like, I don't know. That's- <laughs> so, that, yeah, that's one of the things. So, this, that's one of the things that I love to do because that um, that feeds my soul, right? And it gives me hope in the world, you know? And, and it, teaches me, it teaches me something every single time. You know, when I... Um, 
I'm a tree hugger from when I was very young, right? You know, environmentalist. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I've always been annoyed at climate deniers, right? And uh, we had, we had the call on climate change and that was amazing, right? Like the different people that had different ideas and almost everybody had to qualify what they were saying because, you know, they've been vilified, you know, when, when talking to people that had different opinions of them. But one of the things that I got really clear of is that, um, if there's no hope, right? If if we're like this is it, we're done, we're all dead. You know, if there's no hope, it it um, it deadens the creative aspect, right? It it has your creative fibers not firing because there's no hope. Why why even why even look for a solution? And uh, and I think we've been doing that to our kids, right? Yeah, you know, like. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry we we fucked up the world for you, but you'll be fine. You know, you'll figure it out, <laughs> yeah, right? You, you go. So, Elon's gonna take you all to Mars. Right. You'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was one. That was one of the things that I I really got from that one, and I've changed how I I speak about it. Right? You know, we we have no idea. None of us can predict the future. No. And back to listening. I'm a firm believer that we the world is a better place if people just. Listen, understand is to listen to respond, right? So many people right. listen to respond. You can see him have the kind of face like, stop talking so I can tell you why my point is better than yours. Exactly. Yep. So, and we address that exactly in the, uh, in our roundtables because that's, you know, that's just a human. It's just a human thing. So, you do a lot of public speaking. I like to talk. Is there a difference <laughs> when you talk to public speakers, is there a difference in your preparation, how you do it versus a small crowd or large crowd? No. Same, same process, same everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, mostly when I, when I have, when I'm talking to people, if, even if it's, uh, not so much if it's on one-on-one, but if it's to a group larger than that, um, I, I'm always wondering like, well, what's my intention? Like, why am I doing this? Right. What's, what's the, what's the point? And then, and then have conversations based on what the intention is, like what I'm, what I want them to get out of it, what I want to get out of it, things like that. So next, I found this on your LinkedIn on your about. Explain this. Enjoys creating environments both online and live, which people experience being connected to what matters most to them. Yeah. So um, that was, you know, I that was specifically uh, the the be heard roundtables when I when I created that. But um, it's it's not only that. You know, one of the things that we talk about in a roundtable is a, a sense of psychological safety. Right. And, you know, being in HR, right, like a, a sense of psychological safety is is a rare thing um, at work. Right. You know, there are some places that people are really comfortable and they can they can spout off half baked ideas because they're not worried about, you know, like getting getting ahead or what are people going to think about me or things like that. So so creating a space of psychological safety is something that um, that I did in the we do in the round tables, but it's also, you know, in my, in my work, you know, when you're, you know, in academia, you know, it's, it's difficult for a, a graduate student or a, a newly minted postdoc to be able to like, just share their ideas, just spitballing, right? Because they have to look good, right? They have to look good to the postdocs and they have to look good to the professors. And there's this whole hierarchy and in, in academia where, you know, you know, God forbid that, you know, you would voice an opinion about something that a Nobel laureate or the dean of dean of uh, the dean of your department is an expert in. Right. There's like just there's um, 
there's not a, a safety in being able to just spout ideas, just to spitball, right? Um, and so, you know, we do that in the Be Heard roundtables, but um, I was also uh, a part of a, a group that developed a methodology so that you could you could have those kinds of conversations innovatively. Like if you're if you're looking for like, um, you know, in inside of you're looking for new innovative ideas. Right. We we actually developed a methodology so that you could have that kind of a conversation. Right. And you can have that conversation using we, we used a, a platform, um, a graph database platform, but allowed the platform to be a, a boundary object. So you could actually take a look at ideas. Right. You could take a look at words. You know, one of my favorite co- quotes is George. <laughs> I am literally going all over the place with this. This is funny. But George Bernard Shaw, you know, he says one of the one of the biggest illusions about communication is that it's actually happened. Right. You know, a lot of people will use a word and um, because they understand what the word means for themselves, they th- it's they think it's the same it's the same thing of what other people mean by that word, you know, like, you know, just, you know, if just look at the word field, right. You know, it's, it's, it means something entirely different to a, a geologist, right. To, um, you know, somebody who's working on electromagnetism, right. Electromagnetic fields, or, you know, somebody who plays baseball, you know, there's the outfield, right. Like, like that word is so loaded because it means so many different things to other people, but we never check in and say, okay, when you say field, what exactly do you mean by that? But we've created a space where we can do that kind of thing. Like, okay, when you say innovation, what does that mean for you? Right. And so people will, you know, we'll talk about, and, and, and we've created a way for them to talk about those, those kinds of, those kinds of words inside of their own context. So then, th- then it's like, oh, okay, so I have a context for this and I think about this in a particular way. And somebody else can say, oh, I, it, I don't think about it like that in that way at all. I think about it like this. And, and getting, that, getting that little bit of um, uh, interaction, right? And, you know, and it, like, it breaks down the levels of like, you know, I, you know most PhDs, you know, I, I actually had to deal with it, deal with this myself, but most PhDs are really worried about looking stupid, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like to prove that I'm not stupid, right? That's how I, why I got my PhD, right? And I was, yeah. I was so close to the end of my PhD and I was like, well, I don't need to prove that anymore. Do I need, do I need my PhD? And my husband is like, yes, you need your PhD. Right? <laughs> I've been supporting you for years. <laughs> so you do need your PhD. So, so. you do these boards, like how you... Like, how do you make sure it's not dominated by extroverts talking to you? How, how do you make sure, like, you know, you, you entice the introverts to actually say their piece? Well, so, so for example, in the, like, in the, uh, the we call this the facilitated conversations, right? And I, I, I developed it with the the founder of Exaptive, which is the last startup that I worked for, and and uh, an organization in the EU called Climate Kick. Um, but, uh, you know, you actually... Put, we put up words, right? I talk about a boundary object, right? It's a it's a visualization of how people are connected. Like they would they would have connected themselves to a particular word, like you know, knowledge management, right? You know, and because it's a it's an abstraction that is it's high enough up that it's going to be imperfect, right? But but people can then talk about it, right? And um, and so you have that word up. And people have, will have connected themselves to it. So if you click on that word, and so, f- for example, one of the words that I usually associate with myself is improvisation. And I'll describe what improvisation means to me, right? And then uh, then the next person will be connected to that. So I'll just, 
you know, you can actually call on that person regardless of who they are. So we don't know who they are. We just know that there's a person connected to that. And we'll say, so is that what, is that what you meant by that? And I've actually done this with somebody and, and his response was like, no, I didn't mean that at all. I got to change what, what words I was like, no, no, no. It's just, that's, that really is how this works. You know, your, your meaning of the word improvisation is different than mine. So what do you mean when you said that? Right. You know, cause for me, the reason I love improvisation is because it's a, you know, one of the rules in improvisation is you always say yes. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what somebody says, you just say yes. Right. And then have the conversation that way, because when you say no, it just blocks right? There's like, you can't go there anymore, right? And so then that's not usually what other people mean by the word improvisation. So they get to share what that means for them. And then, and then you call on other people, right? And so sometimes the people you call on is going to be the CEO of an organization. And sometimes who you call on is the intern or a graduate student, right? Or, or an undergrad, God forbid, right? You know, <laughs> that they would be involved in the conversation, right? But then it allows people to, you know, everybody who's in the room to have a say, Right. And then it's um, and then it's also one of the unique things about it is, you know, we did this at a conference. Um, I think it was in Copenhagen last year. And, uh, you know, there was about 50 people in the room and we just, you know, we walked through different terms like that. And then about 15 minutes later, we stopped everybody and we said, OK, so do you have a sense of who's in the room? And uh, and everybody looked around and they're like, well, yeah. Right. You know, because like one of the one of the biggest problems that people have at scientific conferences, and you know, somebody actually had it during the meeting that we were having, is that you know, you take you take 30, 45 minutes introducing it to everybody, and you know, and nobody's listening, right? Nobody really cares what they're going on. But but when you do it this way, people talk about what's important to them and you know, and why they said improvisation or ecosystems or you know, whatever the word is that we have connected to them. And, um, you know, cause they're, they've got their own context that gets laid out. And so most people had a sense of, well, I know, I know what that face looks like. I know their name and I know what they're, what they care about, right? They don't, they don't necessarily know their title, right? Or their pedigree or where they work or any of that, right? But they know the important thing about them to be able to have the kind of conversation that sparks innovative ideas. So. Yeah, it's amazing how like you're a group of people, you all like judge people and whatever. You're like, oh, this person can't make a contribution. And kind of off the subject, but like, like, have you ever had those hot Cheetos? Yes. So you probably know this, <laughs> but a gender actually made that. Really? Yeah. So this no, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, this gender would work for the Frito Lay company. Every day, he would buy regular Cheetos and put hot sauce on it <laughs> and shake it up. And then that's how hot Cheetos came, right? That's and awesome. I, and I could imagine some random janitor. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it made him like millions and millions of dollars. Money, Maybe. Right? Yeah. I just hope he got some of the cut, though. Exactly, right? Yeah. You know, I have a, I actually know the guy who invented USB. Oh, but, wow. You know, but he worked for a, a big, big yeah. software company. So he yeah. didn't. Yeah. I just remember know. those sticky notes, posted notes. Yeah. The person made that. He got no money because he worked for the M, I think it's called the M Corporation. Yeah. So, like, so they got automatically the introduction property. Right. Right. And so, yeah. So I, I do hope that people, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, the the all oh, I, we can start talking about capitalism and all that kind of stuff but you know the the way the the way it's set up you know people expect that ideas should be free right like i don't need to pay you for your idea except like that's the sometimes that's a hard thing to come up with so yeah. how do you how do you give um, people credit yeah. for I their mean, ideas a bonus or something right or like, something or, yeah. or, or cut of the because well, mm -hmm. um 
So Netflix has a movie about when Michael Jordan signed with Nike long back in the day. Yeah. And he wanted to go with Adidas. And so the money matched. And so Michael Jordan's mother said, we'll sign with you if you give us percentage of the, of, of the shoes he sells across the world. First, Nike said, no way. Like, it isn't done like that. And then he said, hey, either do it or we're going to sign Adidas. And, and Phil Nice, okay, screw it. Let's go all in and give him no money of each shoe, which had never been done before. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's got to be done some you know you gotta you gotta way, yeah. you gotta break the rules a little bit to like to have it be equitable right exactly you know? yeah so go back to labels right so first i think it's bad like if someone like someone labels me as three different things right yeah that's bad but isn't it just as bad if i label myself a certain way well it depends right you know i um when i when i was introducing myself during this the labels the, the labels conversation i said i'm a tree hugger and i i was a socialist from a small child when i lived in the socialist country up north and then moved down to this socialist country right and i did it on purpose right because i wanted people to like to start to deal you know i i tell people look you might get triggered but you know this is a safe place for you to get triggered and yeah. then you can just come back to the conversation and there was a there was a retired cop on the call and he says like i was so triggered when you said tree hugger and socialist <laughs> i didn't know what to do with my myself right he says but i could really see that you know because because once you start to get to know people you're like well that you're awesome though why yeah. would i why would i hate you just because you call yourself that right or you know and you know and you and you, sometimes you label yourself something and it's good and sometimes you label yourself and it's limiting right you know that you know uh non-binary right like that's a label right you know um you know my best friend her uh she was given the name Karen. And then when it became derogatory, she was like, well, I never liked it anyway. So why, you know, you know, why would I keep it if every time I hear it now, it's turned into, you know, this, this horrible thing that means yeah. like a middle-aged white lady who's entitled and, you know, the, I want to speak to the manager. Right, exactly. And, she, says, and she goes, and I am, yeah, I'm a middle-aged white lady. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's already, it's already bad enough. So yeah. she changed her name, right? Even though, even though she thought she was going to be labeled a hippie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know like labels, like, you know, I think, I think they take us through like, you know, most people say tree hugger, right? First off, most people had like someone like at a tree stopping, Thousands of jobs were coming right, <laughs> or something like that, you know, or like to extreme right. But it's not really like that, I wouldn't think. Right, you know, but the thing is, you know, so labels will they can they can make it easier, mm -hmm. right? You know, but then they can also like they they can box you in, right? So you know, there's the you know our our, our hope with that particular roundtable was that people would wouldn't stop at the label. Right. Like, you know, just there's, you know, we've, you know, we had a, we had a round table early on, um, uh, about Trump. Right. And so that, you know, that there were people on the call who, you know, voted for Trump and who love, love him and thought he was great. And, 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 you know, there was a space of, you know, we're, we're not out to change anybody's mind or convince anybody. We're just, you know, having people be in a conversation, even when they don't agree with what's being talked about. So that one was, that was really hard for a lot of people. Right. You know, just to like to be with somebody like, really, you you love them. Right. You know, like what? Yeah. I don't know why I love, love any of them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you, exactly. Right. But you can you know, you can you can kind of get a sense of um, the 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 labels will will have you. You know, we had one guy on the the um, the vaccination call and people are like, well, if that guy is going to be on the call, I'm not going to be on the call. Yeah. Right. I just I'm, I refuse. Right. And actually it. The people who are on our calls, it's um, 
it's pretty wild. You know, like, like we've got a lot of people who we love and adore who just won't be on the calls because they can't, they, they will not be in a conversation with the other side. Yeah. They just won't. They're like, I'm not giving them a platform. I'm not giving them a voice. That one thing I, that killed me, right? Like when people say don't go to the platform because um, I wrote about a couple months ago when Connor arrested all that Jewish stuff. And this guy named Lex Friedman had on his podcast. Lex Friedman, he has like mean downloads of podcasts. And he had the blast of Lex Friedman of giving Connie a, a, like a platform. But Lex Friedman was like, well, I want to have a conversation with this guy and see what's going on, right? Right. So always kill me say, don't get someone a platform. Right. How are you going to know the ideas and all that kind of stuff? Or, or, or and disprove their ideas. Right. Or even, yeah, that's that's the other thing. Like, you know, if you're if you're not willing to be exposed to, to ideas, like there was a... You know, one of the somebody on one of the calls said that, you know, financially Trump, you know, Trump did great. And I was like, like, I, I heard the words and then I thought, well, I should go look at that because I know my filter bubble definitely doesn't say that. Right. You know, so there's, you know, there's there's a whole world of if you're willing to listen at least you can then even go explore it, right? You don't have to change your mind on things. Yeah. That guy who was on that that vaccination call, he um he got heard, right? Like people, he shared his point of view and everybody listened. And he'd never had that experience before being heard. Right. And then somebody and then uh and then somebody else on that call said, Well, there's a voice that hasn't that hasn't been heard yet that, and it's not necessarily my voice, but I think somebody needs to speak for this point of view. And she just talked about how vaccination protects the community, right? Like the whole, and, and, uh, and it was, you know, people heard, heard immunity a lot, the whole thing, right? During that. But because, because this gentleman had been heard on the call, he'd never actually really heard that argument in a way that made any impact. And he was like, wow, I got to stop being such a dick on Facebook. Right. Like, and he actually did, you know, tone down his rhetoric because it really, you know, his experience of being heard, right. You know, one of the things that we say is that, you know, our, our, uh, our mission is to create a world where, where love wins. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, people, you know, when they are, when they're heard, they actually have the experience of being, you know, there, there's more love in the world, right? You know, their hearts are, are opened a little more. So yeah, okay. I mean, like people say, vote for anyone but Trump, vote for anyone but Biden. My thing is like, okay, vote for, for, but it's not a, it's Trump or Superman, you right. know. You know, the choice isn't Biden or like, right. or you know, a reincarnation of JFK, right? Yeah, if I had if I had my druthers, I'd rather not vote for an old white guy. Yeah, you know, basically I, that's that's my wish. Number one, can we have somebody besides Trevor Biden? <laughs> And can we have somebody at least 60 years old younger, right? right. I mean, I don't think that's a high bar. To it's get, not you know? a high bar. It really is But so isn't. far, our country hasn't, hasn't started doing it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time right now, right? Like, you know, it's not, it's, it's not your typical conservative liberal thing. No. Now, you know, now we're, now we're like, okay, are we, is this, are we really, is this going to be about democracy or authoritarianism? Yeah. Like, are we going to go, are we going to go full on fascist? Right. Yeah. And you look at president Biden, you're like, man, this guy's been in office since the 1920s or something like that. You know, For, he yeah. looks like the, you remember that show tales of the crypt. Yes. I mean, it's like, it's like, are you kidding me right now? Like, but then it's like, I, I don't know. It's but then like, the, op then the other option, right. You know, the, yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up in, I, I grew up in, I was born in the United States. But I grew up in Canada. I spent my whole life there. And, you know, while I was growing up, 
you know, in your, you know, your year, your obnoxious years, right? So like from when I was two to 19, I was, I was an obnoxious American, right? You know, I'm like, I'm American, I'm American, I'm American. You know, I, you know, there, there was even a civics class in Canada where they, they had this, um, this idea, like, what if the, the United States flag was, was uh, raised in, in Ottawa? How would you feel? And I'm like, eh, I don't care. Right. And he's like, what? Right. And, you know, and then, you know, and I was like, like watching this guy get all riled up because I was an obnoxious teenager. Right. And, um, and then one of my friends is like, she's American. Right. And he goes, Oh, right. You know? And so I was like an obnoxious American the whole time growing up. And then, um, and then I went, came back down here to go to college. Right. And I was, uh, I was, confronted by how Canadian I was. I, oh my God, I'm Canadian. <laughs> right. You know, I was, I was in, in my, in English class in, um, and I, some guy in the English class was talking about, um, like the horrors of Canadian television, like all the swearing and sex on TV. And I'm like, all TV is like that stuff for America. Right. I was like, like are TV you in Germany, me? Italy, France, all across the world, right. there's cussing nudity on TV. I know. Only, right? It's only in the United States. Right. And so I was like, are you kidding me? Have you seen how violent it is on television here? And everybody looked at me like I was weird. And and the guy, and they, they just kind of brushed off what I said. Right. And I, I understand why that was now looking back. But in that moment, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I said, would you, would you rather have your kids growing up having sex and swearing or being violent? And uh, the teacher's like, Terry, calm down. And I'm like, <laughs> me, are you, you know, and then, um, but, but um, a couple of years, uh, a couple months later, I was talking to my dad, maybe it was a year later, I was talking to my dad who still lives in Canada. And uh, it was right after the uh, the massacre in in Montreal at a McDonald's, right? And I said, "How are you doing?" And he's like, "It's we're pretty shook up." And I was like, "Why? Like that happens all the time?" He goes, "Not here, it doesn't." And I and I realized like when I first when I first got down to the states, I was like, uh, "It was the the like the amount of violence here." right, is scary, right? But but you get desensitized to it. And so after a while, I was desensitized to it. So that, that, was, that was what would have me say to my dad, what it happens everywhere, right? But it was also what would have me say, do you see how much violence is on TV here? And people not understand what I'm talking about, because you just, you know, you have to yeah, you have to withdraw from that a bit. And so once I realized how, uh, how desensitized I'd become to that. I was like, I was kind of shocked. And then, then I got my Canadian citizenship. So, <laughs> so I'm a dual citizen now. <laughs> cool. And it's crazy. Like how many people have labels on them and they don't match the labels. Like this is my opinion, right? So president Bill Clinton, he ran as a liberal Democrat. But if you look at his record, he was actually a conservative Republican because right? he got rid of welfare. He bounced a budget. You know, of course, some of that's because the conservatives ran Congress. So he's like a good politician, yeah, you know. You know what? I don't I don't I don't buy it that the Republicans balance the budget. I just don't buy it. Like, yeah. look what happened. Look yeah. what happened with Trump. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, sure. This whole debt ceiling thing right now. Like, let's let's cancel all of Trump's Trump's uh, tax credits. Yeah. If we cancel all those, that would go a long way to balancing yeah. the budget. So and then like the second president, Bush, he's a conservative Republican. But I would argue he was a liberal Democrat because, like, he spent so much money. Like, he did the war, gave tax, you know, gave so much money away. President Obama, if you look at his record, he actually was a moderate Republican, not a Democrat, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was in um, uh, in 
I was, was, yeah, it was, it was in Copenhagen a few years back. And this was, this was before Trump was elected. And, uh, and she's like, what's the deal with, you know, like, um, Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump. And I was like, I know, right. She goes, she was there exactly the same. And then I realized that she was so far left, right. So far left that looking at those two, they looked, they looked the same. And, um, you know, there's that there's, you know, when you when you actually look at just how skewed we are, like we are so skewed to the right in yeah. this country, even the even the the, the left leaning that, you know, like this, you know, that I'm I don't care if I call you know I call myself a socialist mostly just to annoy people, I think. Right. Because it's not a bad word. Right. You know, we have social security. Right. Yeah. You know, of course, there's people who want to cancel that. But, you know, so. Yeah, that's like, I watch this thing where AOC, I don't. The other thing is you like talking about, you know, like most people think Democrats are leftist. She said, no, most Democrats are, are conservative, right? Yeah. Like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, the one she said, oh, yeah, us from the left were like, you know, it's we're not Democrats. So I thought yeah. it was interesting point. You know, when I first when I first got here, you know, I I uh, went down to the courthouse because I'd never been able to vote before because I was uh, an American citizen while I was in Canada. Um, so I went down, got myself registered and. uh and I didn't know anything about politics here. I didn't know anything about politics in Canada because I ignored both, right, while I was growing up. Um, but uh, so it's this tiny little town in the middle of New Mexico, and we're in the courtroom. And and my my friend was uh, was registering across the like across the the hall. And it was it was a big room, right? And uh, and I she says, "Would you like to register yourself as a Democrat or a Republican?" And um, and I turned around and I said, "Hey, Tanya." Is 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 Ronald Reagan a Republican, Republican or a Democrat? And she goes, he's a Republican. <laughs> and so I turned around. And I said, register me as a Democrat, right? <laughs> so, which offended Tanya to no end. But you know, so. yeah, New Mexico is pretty conservative too. So. Well, sometimes some yeah. some places, you know, I, yeah. I, my uh, the last company I worked for was in Oklahoma City, right? Which is like a blueberry inside of a <laughs> red bowl of soup, you know? Yeah, so. just like Austin in Texas, the same yeah. way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. Just the, I love the maps that show, that don't show land, right? Because land can't vote, right? And so when, when you, when it shows the people, right? And you can see all the, the swaths of, of uh, land that have no people in them, right? So. Yeah. Another thing I think people get wrong too, like Democrats, they're like, no matter what, Trump could do no good. Like there's nothing good to do. Or right. vice versa, you Republican. Biden can do no good. But actually, you know, every president has done like good stuff for the country and yeah. bad stuff, of course, right? But, yeah. you know, if you're the different, you know, like for example, Trump, he did a thing where most people don't know where, like, suppose someone like rich and they sold like stocks or something, right? They would get taxed. While Trump had a law where if they invest that money into like the hub zones, like poorly economic neighborhoods, they'd have to pay tax for like four or five years, right? Right. Which is like really big, good for a lot of your city business, right? Yeah. But, no one really knew about it because yeah. he publicized right, and, and everyone does something good or bad, right? Oh, yeah. Can't cuss during the bad. That's right. You know the and and you know everything is you know when you know and every, everything's about sound bites, right? So you know people cherry pick data and they oh, yeah. cherry pick sound bites and they like ten, ten second clip, right? You know they you know the uh, the uh, the. I guess the left took the statement from DeSantis's lawyers about what does woke mean, right? And it's somebody, you know, somebody who is like, I can't remember what it was, but they, but um, the the thing that he added to the end of it was that they they take advantage and they think that they don't have to follow laws because you know, whatever, right? But they just took the front part of the statement to make it make them look make them look bad, right? That's what you know people are people are doing that, right? So I find I can't I can't watch news. 
much, you know, I don't, I don't watch, I don't watch news. Right. And I, and I don't spend a whole lot. Of, I like, I, about once a day I'll, I'll check the, check the news feeds, but I, I do it like on the AP and BBC yeah. and Al Jazeera just to get like some. Yeah. I think Al Jazeera is a really good news source. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. Versus some old stuff over here. I remember those like President Biden would summer, some event and one, one news source like basically said, President Biden is saving the world. Other and, and other ones basically said President Biden sent us all to hell. You know? exactly, right? Same picture, same, same everything. That's that whole thing about science that I was telling you, yeah. the exact same thing. And then people just spin it the way they want to spin it. And so it's you know, um, you know, I I moved up here because I really like being in my liberal bubble. I do. You know, even though my in-laws say that we live on the left coast. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. And so back to everyone around us, like from my point of view, like I think everyone needs to be around to some extent, right? Like for me, like I want clean air, clean water, you know, that kind of stuff. Do we really, really need like um, oil coming from Alaska and Prudhoe Bay? Maybe we do, maybe we don't, you know, because like I, I, I grew up in Odessa, Texas. There's so much oil in the Permian Basin, right? right? Like they've been calculating hundreds of years worth and they discover new oil fields all, all the time. Like, why do you need this different oil? But on the other hand, like, and I just talk generally, like if you're around Millis, do you really want to get rid of everything? Right. Like, do you want to go back to the 1820s? Mm-hmm. Were you like watching, you know, using outhouses, no electricity? Right. Well, there's this, there's the whole thing of nuclear as mm-hmm. well, right? I mean, you know, it's, th- it's that's clean. The safest, that's the safest. And it's clean. Ha- it's really clean. <laughs> when shit goes down, shit <laughs> well, goes it's, down. It's safe until something goes wrong, yeah. right? You know, but that's the same thing with uh, with pipelines, right? Yeah. You know, and so. But, but see, people don't realize like, when nu- like there's a Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, I'm sure a couple are missing, you know, but like, it's once in a generation, right? Pretty much once a blue moon. Mm-hmm. But it's bad, it's bad, right? Oil, like, oil pipes leak all the time. Yeah. You know, Exxon Valdez, you know, it happens. Blue Horizon. Yeah. That, you, know. you know, yeah, all that stuff. It, it happens a lot, right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So it's, <laughs> you know, um, I was in, um, I was in Vancouver uh, to go see Paul Stamets. And, uh, you know, so now we'll meander into psychedelics. So um, it was a, the, the conversation was called How Psilocybin Can Save the World. And, um, and he had uh, an elder from the Haida tribe with him, Guja. And, uh, and that was, it was so impactful having him there, right? And it was, it was actually really great because, first of all, it was like in the scientific conference, scientific light conference, and there was 2,500 people in there. And Guja sang a song for him. Right. You know, just just blessing him. And uh, Paul Stamets said it was one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to him. And he's gotten a lot of awards. Right. Because um, because he's spent his whole life just trying to get people back to nature. Right. And, um, you know, that one of the things he talked about psilocybin is it's it's highly correlated with people being um, to nature relatedness, like having people get connected, get connected to nature. So, and this, you know, this goes back to the other thing about where people are connected to the things that they love. You know, my, my purpose in life is that people experience being profoundly connected, right? And so that, you know, connected to what? It's always, right? You know, the, you know, it's also, I, it's also why I like graph databases, right? It's all, it's all about connections. Um, but, you know, connected to people or, or connected to the planet or, you know, connected to, to, you know, what it is that they're doing, like really being engaged and, and, um, and loving their life. It's the whole thing about being great when you said that, right? I was like, you know, of course, you know, that's, that's why I would be here, right? Because people can become connected to what it is that they, that they really like. Um, and, uh, 
and when he, so that that whole that conversation with Paul Stamets was pretty was pretty remarkable, particularly because Guja was there, and that's one of the things he said is like people just aren't connected to nature anymore. Yeah, they're just not. Yeah, and talking about psychedelics, like first of all, like I have no idea how like marijuana and psychedelics are like a class one drug, right? Oh, I do. <laughs> I mean, I know I know in America goes back to Richard Nixon and yeah. all that stuff and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, which makes no sense. But well, people, it does make a, it make sense from a, a, a particular point of view. Like we are losing, we are losing the job force. So you know, like there's like there people you know tune in and drop out, right? That's what they're talking about. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. And um, and so it's so it's a uh, um, you know, it it was psychedelics were a uh, were a disruption. Right. They were a they were a disruption because it was and it was like it threw a wrench into a lot of things. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. So. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the that that whole thing. Right. You know, I I grew up after that. Mm -hmm. Right. My parents, you know, when I talk my 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 dad's got six siblings and they were all hippies right and they, you know, they all got tired of lsd yeah. right you know and the you know my dad used to joke around about one of his buddies showed up with a big old bag of mdma uh, right and he's like i can't do it anymore right? and <laughs> hand it off to my dad yeah, and yeah. my dad said by the time he he couldn't do it anymore and hand it off to one of his buddies right there was still hundreds of pills in that little yeah. bag which just cracks me up right but you know so that like there's a <laughs> there's a different attitude yeah. to you know and I, and I grew up in the <coughs> just say no yeah i grew up like LSD, you take if you even touch it, you're gonna go mentally insane. Exactly, and right? Your, your mind's gonna blow apart, and you're gonna be put in a mental hospital, and you know all right. these evil demons gonna come take you over. Exactly, right? And there's um, nothing like that at all, right? Well, you know, they they do talk about you know there's the caveat, like there are some people that yeah. that. So I um I love Stanislav Grof's work. So he did a lot of um exper like he was doing a lot of experiments. Um, on psychedelics, um, but uh, you know when when prohibition happened, he'd he'd done enough work to know that that's not the only way to altered consciousness, yeah. right? So he started doing breath work, right? You know, because you know you can have psychedelic experiences just by breathing, right? Yeah. Or wrong, I guess. However, however, guess it's your point of view, right? But um, so you know, they, there's a whole world of what you know, altered consciousness, right? Altered states of consciousness, which I find fascinating, right? You know, as a neuroscientist, I'm all about fucking with a mind. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, I love that, that whole world. And, and, you know, uh, you know, as a scientist, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of where I concentrated, you know, I got fascinated with G protein coupled receptors. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're like the most amazing machine ever. Right. But you know, it's a, it's just a receptor on the out, on the surface of cells that binds to a molecule and then starts this whole signaling cascade and just the idea that you know this is how you talk from the outside of a cell to the inside of a cell just captured my imagination and i right i got like i got i got deep into that right and then and then i realized that g protein coupled receptors are they're the they're the receptors that bind to things like cannabinoids you know cannabis yeah. uh, opioids 
um, tobacco, the nicotinic receptors, you know, serotonin, right? Like all of those really cool receptors in the brain, not all of them, but most of them are G protein coupled receptors. Nice. Right. And so, you know, I, I remember the first time I, st I started a, a postdoc at the, at, at UW here when we first moved to Seattle and, uh, and I was just working on a G protein coupled receptor. Right. You know, and then, uh, the, my, my advisor walks into the lab and he says, okay, who needs cocaine? And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I work in an opioid lab. Right. You know, it's like, there's like, you know, like there was this whole world of like, wow, I forgot that that's like, there's all these other impl implications yeah. to, to the opiates. Right. And so, you know, that was one of the receptors that I worked on was an opiate receptor. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are getting more open, like psychedelics, like most people don't know this, but like, of course it takes like really conservative, right? People don't know this, but like, I might be mixed up like that's four or five years. The state of Texas, Republic, or the, uh, House of Voters, they've been like five million dollars a year for research for psychedelics to help veterans on PTSD, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. So there's a there's a whole world of, you know, so um, not many antidepressants work, right? And you know, when when my um, when my daughter went on antidepressants, right, uh, the uh, the her doctor said, "Oh, your mom's a neuroscientist. Just ask her how they how they work." Right. She'll, she'll be able to tell you how they work. Right. And so when she asked me, I was like, we don't know how they work. Right. You know, it's, you know, the, so just to give you kind of an example, when you close your eyes, right. You know, everything goes dark, right. Immediately. That's a G protein coupled receptor, right. It's like, it happens like this, right. And then there's some that take minutes and all that, but there is no G protein coupled receptor that takes weeks to work. So that's some other process going on, right. Like that's like, gene expression, like you're actually changing your mind, changing your brain, right? For the, for the drugs to work. We're not exactly sure how it is. We know some that it has something to do with the serotonin receptor and all that. But so when we, I was what, what completely um, captured my heart and soul and mind was um, psychedelic therapy that actually works, right? You know, there that, you know, there, one of the things you could say about a lot of mental disorders is they, that they have in common is that you've got, it's a rigid way of thinking about something about yourself, mostly about yourself. And if you could let go, right. If you could let go of how you think, if you're, you know, if you could let go of the grip of it. Right. You know, so if you, you know, if you watch Michael Pollan's um, documentary, you know, there's, there's people who um, OCD like was just, you know, crippling them in life right and then and then they were freed up from that right and people who um are, are uh have depression or anxiety and that's and that relaxes right like there's when you see some of the effects of that right it's like yes we need to study this stuff absolutely we need to study this stuff and then when you start to look at the different the, the different things that we can do like mdma to treat ptsd it makes total sense, right? You know, ecstasy is, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing love, but then you're also dissociating a little bit. So, so you don't, you know, a lot of how we get over the, over things, right. You know, just expose yourself to spiders more and more. And it does, it's not so bad. Right. We first moved into our house and had the giant house spiders that were like terrifying, but now it's like, it doesn't, doesn't scare me too much except when they're crawling on me. Right. <laughs> but, um, but so, you know, but, but if you, if you just remembering those things, right, that give you PTSD, just send you into another episode, like being able to dis dissociate yourself from a little bit, from it a little bit to be able to mess with the memory is good, 
right? And so it's like, it's amazing. We should definitely be studying this stuff, right? You know, and, um, and this stuff is work, this stuff works, you know, they, there's studies back in the fifties where, um, 65% of the people that were, that were in a, in a, a drug trial treating addiction, alcohol addiction with LSD, right? Um, they, they never went back. They never went back to alcohol, yeah. right? That's like, that's a remarkable number, right? You know, and so we should, yeah, we should be studying this stuff. It's, yeah, so if there's anything else, like I could talk about this for a while, because there's like so much about the psychedelic renaissance yeah, that's happening right deep. now. But another person was like pro-psychedelic, now you never think it was. So uh, a guy named Rick Perry's the former governor of Texas. He's he's pro. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and he's like more conservative than Greg Abbott is, right? Oh, yeah. He's like, I mean, he basically wants everyone to be decent, like pro, pro-conservative, and he's like pro psychedelics. I like that blew my mind. Like, he's well, it, psychedelics. It, it, but it makes sense, though. You know, um, if if you are, if you really, so I, one of the things I've heard, right? You know, that you know, there is that. Then often, oftentimes, they, you know, they are decent human beings. They have like these personas that are just obnoxious and ridiculous, yeah. right? I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I can't imagine that that Bobert and and Green aren't obnoxious human beings, right? But apparently, some of them just put on a show because yeah. that's that's what appeals to their base, yeah. right? Um, but if you are for veterans, right, and because there's study every avenue there's, that can to help there's them. not a lot that works, yeah. right? So if you're gonna like, if you're gonna, you know, and uh, and you can only take it so far with meditation and yoga, which yeah. do which do work better than some of the drugs, right? But you know, let's, let's go there. Right. And so of course, if you're going to, if you are really for veterans, then you would be pro psychedelic. Yeah. You would be right. I mean, I know so many veterans, like before the VA used to pump people to opioids and antidepressants, but I know so many veterans now who do psychedelics. Like, I, like I like to say on the podcast, like, I know I can't say every veteran does it, but for instance, 95% of the veterans I know have been psychedelics or mushrooms or yeah. edibles or something, right? And they're all like all of them say the best thing that ever happened to them. Right. You know, um, my uh, my stepmom died a year ago and she had esophageal cancer. So it, it you know, in the esophagus, right, which is like cartilage. It's really hard to you know, you kinda need your esophagus, so you can't really take any of it out. And um, <coughs> you know, and she lived in Canada and she's like, thank God. Right. You know, cause you know, that she, most of her pain treatment, she didn't want to, she didn't want to do opiates. Mm-hmm. Right. Until the very end, she, she used marijuana, yeah. right. She used cannabis. Cause that's like, that's, you know, great. And you know, you can get as, as fucked up as you want yeah. on it. Right. You can have mostly CBD. Mm-hmm. Right. And then get mildly, yeah. mildly high. Right. So it's, you know, it's a, it's, it, it, it's. I think it's. It's just. I don't know. Morally wrong to like hold on to your political view from back in the '60s without you know. And the the, you know the the um the legislation that says you're not allowed to study something. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like. I think what's called, it's called maps. I know maps. They've done a lot of studying in the nonprofit. You know, yeah. like think of all the stuff we haven't learned. You know. Yeah. Oh, there's, you know, I, so I, back in 2006, you know, I saw one of this, these studies because they started coming back with, and part of it, a lot of it had to do with MAPS, right? MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, right? And they're, one of the, their things was, you know, if you can just have people have a conversation about something, it gets back and, you know, it'll get, come back around, right? You know, and thank God, you know, the conversation is more about, 
you know, let's let's use MDMA to treat PTSD for veterans or for anybody with PTSD yeah. for that matter, right? And yet, let's use psilocybin to um, to treat depression in cancer pa- patients, right? But you've got to study all of the things yeah. about it, right? Um, you know, you, you really should study. We should study gun violence. Right. Like that should be one of those things that we have numbers on. And, you know, the NRA has been really good at blocking Mm -hmm. if if you because they know. Right. Knowledge is power. The more you know, the 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 more the more access you have to to something. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sackdown is funny. Right. I mean, all the research could have done the way you could help people. It's it's interesting. (laughs) What's your point on this? Right. So I can't remember the name, but. You have to know the guy who's in charge of the maps. Dublin, Rick Dublin. So he was on Joe Rogan's podcast about a month ago, right? Oh yeah. And then, oh, I gotta watch that one. And they were talking about so Joe's name's Joe Robin. He was uh, yeah. He's talking about taking them from nonprofit to to, a, to an investment company where people invest in the company, right? And Joe was like, "No, you shouldn't do this because they're gonna be beholden to investors and it's gonna change your method, you know." But he was like, "Man, like we're not getting money from the nation, right? It's a nonprofit. If we do what we gotta do, we need the big money. So yeah. what, what's your take on that? Should they like go?" Take on investment money or keep on being a nonprofit. Which would be the best way to, for them to do? Well, so there's now there's Maps and there's Maps PBC, which is Public Benefit Corporation. So it's a for-profit entity that is the one that's running their clinical trials, and um, and so uh, and and it it's necessary, I think, really to separate the two. Absolutely, because um, I you know that's one of the things that we're we're thinking about for uh, Love Is My Religion. Also, is is to do a for profit arm where we do um, be heard uh, events for corporations as part of their DEI training, right? You know, because um, they're because they they aren't making enough money to have this thing go right to, to you know they're 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 well known they're they're well there's a lot of other companies that are doing research and all that but these these this guy our maps has been in the forefront um and so i i do agree that there's especially in this society right capitalistic society right like they do the, there is something to be said for having um the market say whether or not this is going to work because that's how that's how we judge things right you know that's how that's how we determine whether or not something is going to work it's not it's not 100% right you know or or maybe it is right that's i guess is the definition of capitalism right but if they can if they can uh, make it work in a for profit in a for profit environment then then it real then you know there's a better chance of it having it work and the fact that they did um, a public benefit corp for that a PBC um, says that they you know it's they they actually have to demonstrate that there is some benefit to yeah. the public right so you know there's that's the whole thing with like with B corps right you know also is like how how do you determine whether or not the company that you're that you want to work with is is good right yeah. is is gonna is is not just in it for the money right so yeah so um the state of minnesota is about to become the 23rd state to legalize marijuana Woo-hoo. what do you think comes first all 50 states legalizing it or it gets legalized at the federal level huh i think we should i think it should take take notes from our friends up north right <laughs> and just legalize it the whole thing right you know yeah. there's you know um you know washington state is having a hard time right you know the, being able to sell all of the weed it's it's growing yeah 
right? Like there's, there's elements of, yeah, states' rights, whatever, right? You know, (laughs) know, you know, there, there's a reason that we're a union of states because it, it really works to be able to, I can, I can go back on that statement too, as well. Cause then you've got like abortion and yeah. you know, like that whole thing. But, um, <coughs> you know, there's, there, there's a benefit to being able to, so I think, I think we should, I don't know, I can't predict which one is going to happen, but I really think it should be legalized federally. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think, you know, that and the, and in Canada, the interesting thing is, you know, so they legalized marijuana. So all of the laws that had to do with, uh, psychedelics were, kind of in limbo. So you go yeah. up, we go up North, you can, you can go and hit the uh, medicinal uh, mushroom dispensaries. Right. So <laughs> I could be wrong, but uh, didn't British Columbia, that's where Vancouver's in British Columbia, yeah. right? Didn't they just like recently like legalize like all drugs? They decriminalized. Decriminalized. That's what yeah. it is. So, so, so it's a difference. So yeah, difference, yeah. It, it is different. You know, it's, it, it just means that, you know, they're, they're not going to, they're going to go after the more heinous crimes, right? Yeah. Which is, I think is wise, yeah. right? You know, there's, there's the, the, you know, they did, they did, um, was it, I think it was Timothy Leary got, because, because psychedelics were still legal. Mm-hmm. He got, he, um, it was a marijuana charge that, that they like, were um, able to arrest him for. Wow. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, like marijuana, obviously, yeah, but. Like, I don't know about legalizing, like, fentanyl and heroin, you know, that I don't know. Well, okay. You see, you see, you see, you see what it does to people in the streets here, especially in Seattle. Right. So, um, there's, uh, and I know these studies are done in rats, right? But this is a better, it's a better model than, like, a computer simulation, mm-hmm. right? Um uh, and it's better than doing it in people. Yeah. Right. That might you know, be an ethical dilemma. It's exactly. Right. There's like, there's so many things that are interesting. Like we don't know if there's DMT in the human brain. There's a pretty good chance that there is because we have receptors for it. And, you know, but, you know, DMT is metabolized so fast. You know, you got to like uh, make the body produce it and then sacrifice the animal really quickly. Right. It's hard to do that in a human. Yeah. Right. The, all the ethics involved. Right. Um, uh, but uh so why was I saying that? Oh, so for a lot of the drug studies, right? They, they, you know, one of the things that they showed is that, that, that rats, rodents, you know, will press a lever until they kill themselves. Yeah. Right. You know, but they, but what they were, what they were looking at is just to, to put it in lay terms, you know, uh, rats that are bored out of their freaking minds, right? They've got nothing but this white cage by themselves, maybe with a couple other people, right? But if they put them in an environment where they're stimulated, right? Like there's stuff to do, there's like cool, you know, toys to play with, they won't go for the drugs, right? And if you, and th- this is one of the things that I, I think about uh, science all the time is like, well, how does that, how does that apply to human beings, right? When, you know, when you, when you alter somebody's environment, so so they're not they're not confronted with. I would rather escape into this drug drug induced haze than to deal with the reality of my life. Right? People will people will stop doing those things. Right? They'll they'll stop taking drugs. So, but that also means that what we got to do is like you know, this is this is where my socialist bent comes in. Is like you know, take care of people then. Right. Like if people are taken care of, they don't they don't want to do that. Right. Like they actually it's like the the biological urge goes away when there's when there's something else in their life. Right. And so, you know, 
I would love to do that experiment. I think that experiment, but that would be costly. You know, it does like crazy ass things like what if, you know, what if you just gave everybody a thousand dollars a month? Right. You know, about UBI, yeah, universal yeah. basic income. Yeah. What if, you know, like what, what if, you know, if you took care of, of some of the basic needs, like I don't have to worry about a house and I don't have to worry about a food, about food. Right. You know, and then, you know, the, the, I think a lot of, a lot of the other issues would go away. It, it, it goes back to the, um, when we, when we were studying psychedelics, there, there was a, um, uh, they used to call it uh, psychomimetics, right? Which means that they, it, it uh, induced psychoses, right? Like that's what they thought was happening, right? You know, they, they, the theory behind those studies, um, the alcohol studies, was that um, LSD would induce the DTs, right? It would induce a kind of psychosis that would make the people you know that like i don't i don't want to go there right like sometimes dcs you know you hit rock bottom and there's the only place to go is up right so they thought that that's what they were doing by um giving them lsd while they were you know addicted to alcohol um and it turns out that that's not what was happening right it wasn't it wasn't mimicking psychoses right people were just having a different experience a a, a more expansive experience you could say right and so they 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 like that excuse me, that was a theory that got thrown out because it was okay to study it, right? You know, that's that's what you do in science, right? You have a theory, you test it, and you're like, wow, that's not, that's actually doesn't appear what's happening with people. So what is happening with people, right? You know, is it the mystical experience, all of that stuff, right? And so, um, so I think, you know, to be able to study that, right? You know, there's, but there's, it's, it's like we've, we've, you know, trapped ourselves like this whole uh, the polarization and how everything's been politicized, right? It keeps us from being able to, um, to be able to, it keeps us from being able to ask the right kinds of questions or be able to, without it being like, or you're scared to ask the question because you don't, all your friends are going to blast you and like destroy you. Exactly. Or, or I'm not going to get funding anymore. Right. You know, like the, you know, every once in a while, the, you know, Republicans will, will um, bring out like some of the different studies that people are doing. Like, can you believe that they're studying sex and ants? Yeah. Right. Like without knowing the context for why we're doing that, you know, you know, why, you know, if we're, it kind of makes sense, you know, pheromones and yeah. pheromones and ants are way more powerful than humans. But in the but defense on, on, on the level, you like, we're studying why, you know, you know, I don't know, why goldfish will make good pitch, right? Or something crazy like that. On, on you know, on the, just the level, you're like, okay, why are you doing that? But you, go, you gotta dig deeper, right? You really do have to dig deeper because but most people some, don't have the time or don't want to dig deeper. Or they don't want to, yeah. right? Like, that's the thing, right? You know, and, you know, and uh, every time people talked, talk about how, you know, People should they, people shouldn't be getting money to do those kinds of stupid studies. I'm like you know you know you could fund the NIH with one with one of the bombers that yeah. you're you're totally willing to pay for, right? Yeah. You know, so uh, let's not uh, don't talk to me about stupid science, right? You know, there's no such thing as stupid science. There's no such thing as stupid. You should be asking all the questions about all the things all the time. So yeah, and you actually go into like some kind of map psychedelics conference. In June, right? Mm -hmm. Where was that going to be at? In Denver. In Denver? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I would never expect to be like, you know, I don't know, <laughs> Nebraska or somewhere right, like exactly. that. Right, exactly. Denver makes so, sense. Yeah. 
So is that yeah. something that annual conference and what do you expect to get know, out of this? I don't know if it's, you know, everything is like every, you know, since COVID, mm-hmm. right. You know, and I, so I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the first one. Yeah. This is the first one I'm going to. Right. And, um, you know, I, I bet they're going to have some good LSD there. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. There's a, uh, so there's, there's different events. Like, you know, I was, uh-huh. I was, I was booking my flights just the other day. Right. So I was looking at, okay, what, what co- talks do I want to go to? What workshops do I want to go to? So, um, you know, do I, do I stay for the after party kind of thing? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Um, and most, most things they'll have disclaimers like, you know, there's no, we don't, there will be no, <laughs> so there, there'll be no selling of illegal substances yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I saw one that said, we do not condemn or condone the sale. I, I like of that Ill- statement. I, I like, know. It's like, I like oh. that. So, I like that. So, so you find the right guy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know what be interesting so, expert to me? I think if you had like two people like equally smart on a subject, have them debate. But one is on, one is like an LSD, one's not. Yeah. yeah I think be you know what, experiment. though? So um, there's so when you're when you're on psychedelics. Right. Like there are things that are so profound, right? Like, like, uh, uh, like people experience being connected. Right. And it is like, (coughs) it is like, uh, soul searing. It is mind blowing. Like, oh, oh, this is what, this is what it means to be connected or to have love or to love. Right. Right. And then you write that down and then, you know, when you come down off the the psychedelics and you're like, well, that's stupid. Love. Yeah, no, How, yeah. Of, of course, everybody knows that you know the most important thing in the world is love, but yeah. like, but you actually experience yeah. it, like, like heartrendingly experience mm-hmm. it, right? Being, you know, I the the last psychedelic journey that I took um, was it was at a retreat, and I was like, I was so connected to to Mother Earth. It was like it was incredible. I was like, I was blown away by how much she loves us. Yeah. Right. And then, you you know, I've always been a tree hugger. Right. And so, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, of course. I, I, <laughs> no, you have no you don't understand how intimate and connected it was. Right. You know, yeah, and you never know what's going to happen. Right. Like well, one time I was on it and for like 30 minutes, I was like trying to figure out. So I was like the classic music, Beethoven. I was trying to figure out why is Beethoven's name pronounced Beethoven? <laughs> why not Beethoven? Like, Beethoven. Yeah. Like yeah. 30 minutes. Like I couldn't get off that. Right. <laughs> See, I love that. I love it the way the mind mess gets messed up, right? Yeah. But there, and the you know that's um, it's so uh, you know one of the I I, I did a, a psychedelic retreat, and the two people who were leading it were were uh, shamanic pr- practitioners, and I was so moved by how, um, uh, just by h- how spiritual they were. I was like. What is this thing, right? Because you know, I you know, long 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 time ago, I had a colleague um, do a shamanic journey with me, and she says, you know, this journey is going to be to take you to meet your meet your power animal, right? And so, and I was like, you know, I was getting my PhD at the time, and I was like, you know, in the I was in the during the journey, and um, all of a sudden, I was in this snowy wasteland talking to a raven right it was wild and i was like wow right you know it's like it was profound of course then then i come back into it and and uh and you know your mind says things like yeah that's just bullshit though right (laughs) that didn't really happen so i'd had that experience but um after that after that uh that retreat you know i i actually took a class uh on on you know just a, a shamanic calling right and it was um 
you know, and so there, it was interesting because when you do a shamanic journey, have you ever, have you ever done a shamanic journey? No. Is that like the Hawasaka thing? Uh, how, what's that with the thing that Aaron Rodgers did? That no, that's ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's also psychedelics, okay. right? So I haven't done that yet, but yeah. that is on I, my bucket I, yeah, list. Yeah, I know two people have done it. One here and one down in Mexico. They both yeah. like said it's like, yeah, like the bee's knees, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Like if you get an opportunity, take it, right? But And I can't say the word to save my life, right? Ayahuasca. It, 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 yeah, ayahuasca. I can't yeah. say it. If someone said, say the word correctly, you're going to die. Well, give me the gun so I can just kill myself. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say yeah. it. Um, yeah, the... Uh, so, so uh, on a shamanic journey, it's it's sound driven. So remember, I, I said there's other ways to altered states, right? You know, breathing, and so this is sound driven with a like a drum. Um, and so you know, you do drum beats, and it actually does things to your brain waves. I, I think it it takes it into the gamma. Um, but then you know, so you 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 have an intention, right? And then you know, uh, do you meditate at all? I try once in a blue moon, but not not yeah not, yeah. So, um, so I, I found a great way to meditate. Right. And so, but, uh, so there's, a, there's a, and, and somebody, somebody shared, um, uh, on a shamanic journey that there's the, there's the yin uh, yes aspect to it and a yang aspect to it. And the yang is like the, where you're actually doing the, doing the, the actual, like you, you have an intention, right. You know, you're going to the lower world, right. So you find a hole in the ground and you travel down and then you imagine yourself in a place, right. And then, and then there's the yinna aspect, which is then you just still everything and let whatever comes, right? Whatever comes. And, you know, uh, you know, people say, well, it's, it's just happening in your mind, which is fine, right? You know, it's just happening in your mind or, you know, um, and so you let whatever the message is to come through. And usually you come for a, you come with an intention, right? Um, and so, so, uh, so there, there is with shamanic journeying. One of the the things about it, it's cool, is you get to direct how it goes. And I've had some trippy shamanic journeys, right? You know, like I there was there was a there was a, there was a, a journey. It's called a dismemberment journey, where you know the fact that I'm a scientist actually really helped, right? They said they said you know the the intention was to discover what's in the way of you and, and your own divine presence. Right. And so, you know, all this stuff came up, like there was relationships that were incomplete in my life. And, and, and as soon as I let that go, it's like, like I started getting porous, right. Holes, holes in me. And then all this stuff about Christianity came up and all these Christian, you know, and, and all that, that went away. And, and then there was, then there was a point where there was just nothing, right. There was literally just nothing. And, uh, and then, then just before the drumming stopped, it was like all these rocks clinked back together. It was this, it was this road to take me back. And, um, like the, like I actually experienced myself be completely obliterated to nothing. Right. And it was, and it was, it was trippy. It was awesome. Right. You know? And so, but with a, with a psychedelic journey, you're not, you know, the mushroom is taking you or, or whatever the, or the molecule, the medicine, the medicine is taking you on a journey for you to see. It's going to show you what it's going to show you. Yeah. Right. And you just have you open it to your right. That's the, that's and, the and, whole thing. Yeah. And you have to like, you can't look away. You're like, you know, take it as far as you can. Well, you know, the, the first psychedelic <clears throat> journey I did, I was, um, you know, I, I've discovered start, you know, on this particular path, just to how in control I like to be mm. like, I like, you know, <laughs> um, and you know, it, when I was, a, I had, I'd had the experience, I had one experience once of letting go. Well, 
actually turned into three. Um, I was, while I was pregnant, right. I was like, while I was in labor, I had the experience of clawing my way to the top of the cracks of my contractions, trying to stay in control. And, um, and then, you know, I'd had somebody tell me, don't resist labor, Mm -hmm. whatever you do, don't resist labor. Cause it'll just, it'll just, you know, the delivery itself, it'll just take forever. Right. And she was in labor for 36 hours. So I trusted her. Right. So here I am clawing my way to the top of my contractions. And then I sat myself down. Right. And I said, look, Terry, you're not getting on off this train, right? There's only one way and it requires you getting this baby out of you. So you should just surrender, right? And so um, the next contraction that started to come on, I thought I was going to die, but I just, I didn't, I didn't resist it at all. I just, and it's like I sank under black oily water and I really did feel like I was going to die. And then it was over and it was like, I, like I came out of the black oily water and it was like the sun was shining, like rising. It was like this incredible moment, you know, and I actually knew myself in that moment, just like powerful, right? Like I could, I could, I could withstand that. I didn't, you know, it was fucking awful, but it didn't last forever. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, okay, so I know I can. I can let go of it. And I, and I was in labor for four hours with my first child, right? Because I let go like that, right? My midwife said that you are not, you know, whatever you did, you got to, <laughs> you got to talk to people about that. That was <laughs> awesome. Right. Um, but um, so that my first psychedelic journey, I was like, I just got to surrender. Right. I, I've done that before. I know how to do that. Right. And, uh, um, and, and I, stayed in control the entire time there was actually a there was a there was a point where i could see all these little bubbles they were going into specific scenes and i got close to one and there was like people in a living room and i could almost hear the conversation and the thought i had was like this is not what i am here for yeah let's go right and so then when i started to come down i was so disappointed right you know a, a lot of people who are who are disappointed by their their journeys is because they won't let go yeah right and um you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, f- I really do feel like I learned something. So my, my family was just in town and we went to the, uh, the flight museum. Right. And I, and I did a, I was with my son and we did the, um, uh, the flight simulator. Right. And so he was, he was flying. Right. Uh-huh. So I was out of control. Right. And, uh, and I was just trying to, trying to fight, just try to try to kill the thing. But the, these flight simulators go all the way upside down. Right. And there's a, there's a panic button. So you can, you can stop the trip if you, if you don't, if you don't like it. Right. But there was a point where I was like, just relax, yeah. right. Just relax into it. And it yeah. was so great because you, you're strapped in well. So yeah. even like my yeah. hair's going straight up, it was, it was a blast. And my son almost pushed the panic button. Yeah. Right. And I was like, no, no, you got to relax into and, it. And that's good, good advice for going on roller coasters too. Exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> just enjoy the ride. Well, it's for, for, really anything right you know um you know just to just to allow yourself right just allow yourself to relax and relax yeah. into it right let go of control here's some stories on my part so like whenever i take it it's like it's like you can i, I can really tell how unnatural cars are right like if i go to the backyard nature if i go to the front yard the cars go by oh yeah i could tell like like way down the road, there's this machine of waste and oil and combustion is coming down the road. You just yeah. you sense the unnaturalism, right? Do you, is it psilocybin? You LSD? Yeah. Oh, yeah. LSD. Yeah. yeah. So and another time, right? So at my house, in the front part, always have spiders all over the place. I spider ribs. My wife always knocks them down, right? <laughs> and so one time I was on it, I swear, this spider said, "Mr. Jason, can you please tell your wife to start destroying my home?" <laughs> like, oh shit. <laughs> Did you? Did you pass on the message? No, no. Oh, come on. No, no. <laughs> and another time I was out I was out there in the front yard 
and they're not people call them chemtrails, not really chemtrails, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's like one from one in the cloud or one cloud, I'm staring at it. And it's like starts going to become a laser beam. And so I take my fingers and zoom in on it. And so I zoom in onto the like the, the atoms of the this laser beam, right? Yeah. So just stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Right? Um and but I think you that's like once you once you relax into yeah. it, right? Yeah, you have to relax, yeah. 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 You definitely have to relax. And that's the things you see, how your mind opens up, you know. Yeah. It, it's really amazing, right? Well, so you know, one of the one of the things as a as a neuroscientist, right? You know, and I, I think that's also partly why I like Stanislav Graf's uh, work, um, because you know they're they're you know and I'm, I'm a student of consciousness as well. So um, Anil Seth has a great book, right? And he talks about how consciousness is just a controlled hallucination, right? It's like it's it it is a your brain puts together. A picture of what the world looks like mm-hmm. and then your senses actually are correcting yeah. like they're they're looking for the errors in it right and and uh it's it's real simple uh, like it's it, it's real subtle actually his his uh theory of consciousness um and uh when, after i read that book right i was i'd act i i would actually just check into it and it'd be it'd be fascinating how i could see the world change, right? You know, my, we were walking the dog and Scott says, watch out for the dog, right? And I couldn't see a dog anywhere, but then he pointed to it and all of a sudden this dog appeared, mm-hmm. right? And so, and it's, you you could say, well, you just didn't notice it beforehand, yeah. right? But what if, what if, you know, that, that your mind then created that? Because yeah. if that's the case, then, you know, the, the, the world we see is based on our assumptions and our predictions and all that. So it makes sense then that there's a lot of things that we can't see. You know, that they people talk about how um, the the indigenous people didn't see the ships as they came in because they'd never seen anything yeah. like that before. Yeah. So um, and you and you know that we know that that's how the brain works. Like it's it's all associative, right? Like, you know. For example, I was in Vegas a couple weeks ago for a friend's wedding, and me and my friend went to the mall, right? Well, not the mall, but the strip, right? Shopping, like whatever. I used the bathroom, <clears throat> and the sign said bathroom this way, right? So I went through a way, went to the end of the road, end of the little thing. There's no bathroom here, right? I just know bathroom, right? Went back. My friend walked me back. I said, do the bathroom right here. It was right there in front of me, <laughs> like plain as day, and I, I couldn't see it. And until you couldn't he, see Until it. he pointed it out. Right? So, there, so, so what if, and, you know, uh, people have had this thought before, like what if um, schizophrenics mm-hmm. just have less control? Over what it is that you know, you know, what if they, what, you know, what if they are um, seeing something in a, at a different re- reality, right? Yeah. You know, like they're. So what? What if there is a veil, yeah. right? And that you could. What if the multiverse does exist? You know. Exactly right, but what if other subtler realms exist as well, right? You know, so there's there's the whole world of, you know, what are you allowing yourself to see? Yeah. Right, and so there's and Stanislav Graf talks about spiritual emergencies, so especially people who are who are um, like doing heavy meditation or spiritual practices, which are designed to open up those, those kinds of areas of the brain, whatever, call it, whatever you call it. Um, You know, maybe they're not psychotic, right? Maybe they are, you know, they can just see something, right? And, you know, um, uh, and this, this became important, you know, when we were looking at the, when we were in our, in our, um, shamanic class my husband and i did it together 
um, you know, they talked about spirits, right? And you, you have to keep letting go of stuff. Like, you know, my mind is like, you know, my scientific mind is like, yeah, <laughs> right. But then it's like, um, you know, it like it does it does damage, especially for people who are sensitive, right? You know, so um, Scott said something about spirits, right? And I thought I thought uh, Sydney was asleep. My child, Sydney, I thought she, I thought uh, they're asleep, and um, I said, Sydney says she saw spirits. She's non-binary, and I'm practicing so hard to to get the right pronoun. <laughs> they, they, um, they were asleep, and uh, then they said, Yeah, no, the spirit here is fine. It's it's friendly, and um, and then they told me that when when they were very little they saw uh, a little orange cat following me around all the time. And my first cat was named Pocket, was this little tiny orange cat. And, uh, and uh, he, he died and we lost him and all that. But that, all that happened before Sydney was born. And, uh, and, but, but they saw a little cat following me everywhere. And uh, they were confused by the fact that nobody else saw this as well. So that was one of the things that they shut down. Okay. Right. And, um, you know, so that, you know, there's it, it being uh, rigid in your thinking can actually get in the way of uh, other people's, you know, well-being. Like what if that if what if that was just OK? What if it was OK to be with a, a little kid, you know, and adults do so much damage to kids intuition yeah. anyway, you know, yeah. they don't do that. That's unrealistic, you know? Yeah. Right. You know, just making that up, you know, the, and it happens all the time. Right. So like, so like you know how all these kids like marriage their friends, like how many of these marriage their friends are actually real, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, they, that, uh, so there's, there's an aspect of, you know, and, and we do this as adults to kids all the time, right? You know, kids, you know, you'll, you'll get a phone call and it's, you know, really bad news. And, and your kids would be like, well, what's going on? Are you, are you okay? And, and you say something like, no, no, I'm fine. Yeah. And then they start to question their intuition, right? And that's not even intuition. They're just yeah. like, they're accurate. And then we're yeah. just freaking lying to them, right? Well, then how many times you hear people say, you know, I dreamt about my brother. He came to visit me in my dream and he died the next day, you know, yeah. or something like that. That happens like too many times to be a coincidence, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, one of one of the uh, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is is around near death experiences. Right. And, you know, uh, and what I'm doing is scientifically pulling out artifacts. Right. You know, ontological statements from people's near death experience narratives to and, and I'm using machine learning and AI algorithms to to pull out these um, ontological statements because a lot of them are similar, right? You know, like if you think about uh, Jungian psychology, right, and the archetypes, right? Like they're, they, they, talk, they, they talk about there being another reality, right? Another dimension maybe we're not seeing, right? Yeah, so, I'm, I'm going to believe like there's all different type of wars, right? Mm -hmm. There's a world of ants, world of spiders, world of, you know, brains, world of like philosophy, all these different worlds, right? That yeah. you don't pay attention to. Yeah, right? Yeah, we, we don't. Uh, do you do you like to read? I used to. I don't read as much. I used to. I used to read like a book almost a week. I used to read. I used to be a, a real big reader. I haven't read for a while. Yeah, I uh, I just finished reading Adrian Tchaikovsky's Children of Time. It's an amazing story. 
it's an amazing story, but you know, they basically they do an experiment and, you know, they've got a nanovirus to have the monkeys evolve really quickly and they've got a whole planet where they're going to do it and something goes wrong and the monkeys burn up on, burn up on entry, but the nanovirus doesn't. And because they don't want, they didn't want other mammals to get smart. They just wanted the monkeys to get smart. Um, they, uh, they engineer it. So it's not good for anything but these particular primates, but they never bothered to, to make sure that it wasn't good for the spiders or the ants. Oh, right. Wow. And so it's like over millennia, uh -huh. how these, how, um, these spiders and ants and the, and the arachnid, you know, the, the sea creatures all gained intelligence mm -hmm. because of this, because of this nanovirus. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. Right. Yeah. So, um, that same podcast I was talking about Lex Freeman, who talked to Connor West, he was talking to someone else. They're talking about, you know, alien life and stuff. Yeah. And they're talking, you know, like it, when alien life comes, who are they going to talk to, right? Right. Because we assume it's going to be us, right? But they might think <laughs> they're going straight for the whales, man. Yeah, I tell the you, whales, they, spiders, yeah. dolphins. Like, who are they going to go to, right? Yeah. Of course, the guy will do, right? You know, all this, all the cities are with us, whatever. But maybe that's not telling us them. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you know that. You know, I one of the things you know the, the environmentalist in me also is you know everything on Earth is made up of you know, DNA, Yeah, or it starts with DNA. Yeah. So, so what's the thing you know, we are stardust, right? But if we, but if you come look at the planet, you really can't tell the difference. If you're no. looking at that level at the molecular level, you can't tell the difference between a leaf and, and me. No, you right. Can't. So, and you know, that's, and, that's a good point. Maybe you look at a marker level. Yeah. I didn't right? think about that. Yeah. Who knows? Right. You know, and, uh, you know, and we, we don't even, not, not everybody, but we, Generally, you know, we don't care about talking to dogs or to no, dolphins or no. to octopuses. And maybe so, they come from more like a water-based environment. Exactly right? right. You know, and so you know, I I I really do think that if we were confronted with aliens, we wouldn't even notice that they were there. You know. Right? They're probably right there. Yeah, we're presuming they look like us. You know, <laughs> right. they might be carbon-based or you know, like yeah, all of knows? our science fiction are bipedal. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So who knew Star Trek was actually a, a, a you know. <laughs> Exactly. A predictive thing, yeah. Right. That's crazy. So, so moving on to something else. You already talked about this, but talk more about this Love is My Religion nonprofit. Yeah. It's um uh uh it was started by one of my best friends. And um and he was just he was interested in having people talk across religions when he first started it off. And then my husband and I joined the board and we looked at like, how, how could we make the biggest difference? And that's when we created these, uh, be heard round tables. And, um, and that was, uh, you know, we started off easy doing easy topics. We, we've been doing this for almost four years now. And we started off doing easy, easy things like, um, men and women, Right. Like having them just share their experience and have the opportunity to be heard. Right. And then and then one of the things that we realized is where we had the biggest impact was um, uh, if if we had a conversation that, that crosses the cultural divide. Right. Like the 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 right to left political spectrum, um, because especially right now, what what. I think makes the biggest difference is, is for people to feel connected, right. And to feel like, you know, we, the, you know, it's the really loud edges that are really vocal that people think, well, that's the way the world is. And it's, it's mostly not. It's not. I said before, I'm a firm believer. If somehow we could take the 1% on the left or on the right and get rid of them, you know, like send them somewhere. Let them go fight it out on an island. Yeah, like give them yeah. the, give them some random island somewhere, right? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. most people are in the middle, most people have nuance, you know. Like, wait, wait, so much nuance, so much nuance, right? You well, know? On the right, you know, you have like what's her name? Um, 
the, the, the lady from Georgia, say Representative uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, her. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness! Like, yeah, like, are not, you kidding me? Right. They're they're not all like that, but you know, it, it sure sounds like it because she's so freaking loud, right? So, yeah. So you know, it's nice when they silence silence her. So, right? Because at least you know the adults can talk, right? Yeah. So she's definitely, I don't know. And so next, um, talk about the. I think it's called the Cohen Veterans Bioscience. Yeah. So that was um. So I worked, uh, I worked at the Allen Institute for Brain Science here in town, and that's where I figured out that I loved, to, you know, educating and talking complex, you know, showing people how to use these free resources. Um, but I also, while I was there, I realized that we are crap at dealing with data, right? It, it's it's just we're not we're not good at it, right? You know, there's there's this whole whole thing in in open science about um, having things be fair. Right, findable, accessible, interoperable, reproducible, um, reusable—like you know—so we had this this whole world, and and data is hard, right? And data having data talk to other data is hard, right? And you know, just you know, all of the work that I did in my for my graduate work, right? Just giving that to somebody doesn't make much sense because they don't understand what I called everything, right? So I, I realized that there was a data problem. And when I worked for Cohen Veterans, one of the things that they were they were putting together was a database for uh, brain science, right? So let's have all of the, especially in uh, in this society, right? We fund based on causes, Right. So um, I work on Alzheimer's. OK, here's a here's a pot of money to go solve Alzheimer's and here's a pot of money to go solve Parkinson's and here's a pot of money to solve other ne neurodegenerative diseases. Right. They're all in the brain, though. Brain cancer. They're all in the brain. But so you're looking at a, a problem of the brain from an, from a particular view and, and, and people don't talk to each other about them. You know, data is all in, in silos. So the idea was to let's let's get all of the data and put it all together one spot and harmonize it all so that it talks to each other so so that you could um, so that you can understand holistically how the brain works so that was the i you know i went to work there and that's also where i um, i really started to understand what's going on with our veterans right you know the and, and the other thing that i liked uh, about the the uh, magali haas is the is the ceo and she's got this amazing vision like what if we what if we based the drugs that we use on a mechanism of action instead of a gut feeling? You know, we tripped over Prozac and then drug companies tried to make money off of that and similar things forever. And I, you know, I, I remember a time when that's, it's, you know, finding a new drug is hard, right? It, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do it. And so a lot of neuro, uh, neuro um, discovery units were shut down because it was just wasn't bringing in bringing in any money right <laughs> until psychedelics kicked in and now they're all back out back on board right but um uh so what what they were looking for is like let's actually look and see if there's you know like see if we can find uh, genetic markers can we find markers for ptsd right and everybody said no you know that's you're not going to not going to be able to do that and they did right you know they actually started to show like you know this you know these genetic markers show a a, a predisposition for suffering more PTSD which is good to know cuz then you know don't have them on the front line right you know like let's let's actually be humane about this and so i loved the whole the the whole um mentality and you know the i went to a, a veterans um 
uh, Cohen Veterans Conference, where that was the first time I'd ever met Beto O'Rourke, right? Because he was just an advocate for veterans, right? It's a hard, hard to be a politician in Texas and not be an advocate for veterans, right? You know, for some reason. Regardless of which side of the political spectrum you're on. Yeah, right. And so, you know, so, um, so I, you know, I, I got connected to, right, like the plight of it, like what they did for us and then, and then what they're dealing with now, right? And so, you know, that's, so that was, that was a, a short stint I did with them for a while. Um, and from there, they, they actually decided not to use the, the, uh, the software development platform that the software platform that, um, that they'd started using. And that's actually also part of why I, I came there because I was interested in people who were, um, doing the right kinds of things with data. Right. And so, that was my next job. Then I went to Exaptive, which is the, which is the company, the vendor that that they they had been using for their for their database. Okay. For the for the UI. So let's suppose you have two people. One like they like had a normal life, no brain trauma, whatever, and you have like a veteran who like you know was it either ID or explosive or hit the head real hard. Can you tell the difference in the brains? Uh well yeah. Okay. So, so there was a there was a. Uh, I can't remember what sport. Chris, no, I can't remember. No whiskey? What, no, uh, I'm butchering his name. So, but he got his PhD and um, he was, I think he was in Canadian Football League, something. He was in someplace, someplace where they hit their heads a lot. And he went into neurosciences because he, they were told that, you know, no, you're fine with concussions, right? You know, like that, that you're fine. Right, but it turns out that you're not fine. Yeah. Right, and uh, he he actually convinced I think it was um, over 400 uh, football players to donate their brains yeah. once they passed. And that's a big thing right now. Yeah, football and, players donate brains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because of this man, right? Um, and I've forgotten his name. I should probably send it to you. So it's. Hey, right. man, can you imagine being a boxer? You know, like exactly. At right? least football. I mean, you get a lot of football. Or you're boxing, like, and, and like one thing, like if you're boxing or like UFC, whatever, it's this not an actual fight, but it's all the sparring you're doing, right? Exactly. Over and over and over, and of course, it's not as hard hitting, but still, it hits a hit. It is, and it, and it's not so much the hit itself, but it's the it's the second and the third and the eleventh and the twenty fifth hit after. Effect. Yeah, exactly. So that's where that's what CTE comes in, right? And um, and so uh, when you look at when you look at brains, you can actually tell. Okay. And so um. It, in the in his PhD study, there was 110 brains that he looked at, and 109 of them, something like that, right? 109 of them showed signs of CTE. So yeah. you could actually you could see, right? And uh, you know sometimes when they're in um, when the damage is in different areas of the brain, right? It impacts it impacts areas like especially the frontal lobe, right? Where you all of the executive function, where decision making and risk risk and all that gets damaged. Right then, you know, then you've got some of the emotional things that go on as well. So, can brain damage be reversed? Depends. Okay. Right. I, you know, we we know. So, what's the brain? Right. The central nervous system is also the spinal cord. Right. And we we know that it's really hard to fix the spinal cord. Right. My um my my aunt is actually she was in a she was hit by a drunk driver, and has some damage up in the in the C. C region of her of her neck and um, and she's uh, she may actually be classified as a quadriplegic but 
she had a hard time. So she's actually with machines and rehab and all this uh, therapy. She's actually uh, been able to like to walk with assisted, right? But um, but nothing will pay for pay for that treatment because yeah. it is right that you know the the common knowledge is the brain can't be the brain can't be healed um however there's a there's a book called by dr norman Deutsch that's that's called the brain that heals itself and it talks about several several people who and it's because the people who are treating them didn't know any better you know um actually went about went about uh their recovery like you, like you could, you could be, re, you could be healed, right? So there was a there was a gentleman who had a, a massive stroke, and his son, you know, just started from scratch again. Started from like build up his muscles so he could crawl, and then he could walk again, and then you know he had to redistinguish and he had to relearn, and 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 he he recovered full, you know, all of his faculties. He recovered everything. It took a couple of years, um, but then uh, and he died of a heart attack, you know, I don't know, doing something, doing something great. Like, I don't know, climbing Grand Canyon or something. Right. But when they went, but they went and they looked back at his brain, there was like 97% of his brain or some in, incredible amount of his brain had been damaged, but there, but there's enough redundancy in the brain that you can teach yourself. You can teach yourself to do things again. That's the, that's the amazing thing about the brain. The brain will do whatever it is you tell it to. Right. But most people say things like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. Right. Which is you telling, telling yourself that you can't do that thing. But if you let go of all of that, let go of all of your preconceived notions around that, you could learn to do something even, even older. Like you could learn to do math. You could learn a new language. You could learn to play tennis. Right. You're, so it's more of a fact you being lazy versus being able to learn. It's, but I, I hate the word lazy. Right. Because, you know, it's not, it's, you know, when, if, have you ever been working out? Like I, I remember the first time I got a coach, right. And I was doing leg presses. Right. And there was, there was a point where my mind said, okay, you're done. You can't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. And they said, you got like five or six left in you. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. Right. So your brain, your brain is just really powerful and it will do whatever. Right. And so when it said that I'm done, right. You know, so you've got yeah. to, you've got to go beyond that. that and you've got to keep my mind over matter. Exactly. Right. You know, you gotta, you know, if you just, and if you just practice something, right. You know, one of the things that I took on recently was watercolor. Right. You know, and you know, so I just keep practicing it. Right. I'm awful at it. Right. Because for the longest time I told myself that I wasn't artistic and I'm, and I'm like, well, that's silly. Right. Yeah, I, you know? I tell myself the same thing. I tell myself, I can't even draw a stick figure. <laughs> right. Exactly. But if you, if you just practiced, yeah. if you just practiced, right. You know, so I heard this some, somewhere like, if you just like pick any discipline, right. Like watercolor, right. If you just practice one hour a week for a year, you'd be better than 95% of the population. Exactly. That's it. Because you're not, you're not, you're not going to get paid for it. Right. But you'd be 95% better than the population. Cause your brain will do whatever you tell it to. It will. It will learn anything. So, have you heard of this? So, I think 1800s, there was like a, um, some type of mine in France. They're doing explosives. And so, this guy miscalculated. And so, there's like something I stick and said right. I like, like literally stick out right. Oh, the, 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 what's this? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he, and like he should have been dead. He lived like 50, 60 years. They studied his brain. Like, he had a, he had a normal life. But this thing was out of his head. And they didn't want to take it out because, though, obviously, he would die, right? Oh, Okay, this is not, uh, well, they, they eventually, the, the one that I, what's, Phineas? 
Phineas Gage. Phineas, yeah, Phineas Gage. Yeah. yeah, they did take it out. Oh, did they? Okay. They did take it out. Okay. But, but his personality was forever changed. Yeah, yeah. Right? It actually, it actually changed his person. See, that's the other thing about the brain, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, so... So, you, so they took it out. Oh, so, oh, yeah, they took it out. Okay. Um, but but some the, the part of the brain that... Um, the, there, there was something about um, anger and aggression and all that. Whatever, whatever put the stop on that was was damaged, right? And so then he was just, you know, out of control, right? Yeah. He turned out turned out to be a horrible person, all that. So, so there's there's a getting getting into the nuances of brain science again here, right? You know, there there's the there's the whole world of um, that. You know, if if what makes you you is the brain, and I'm I'm questioning that, but you know, there there are aspects of the brain that it is entirely biological, right? You know, David Eagleman is one of my favorite neuroscientists, and he talks about this in one of his books. Um, there was a there was a man who developed a uh, a penchant for child pornography, right? And you don't talk about that because that's like you know you know so it was like this shameful secret that he and his wife kept. Um, uh, you know, she hated it and all, all of this, right? And he hated it too. He hated that about himself. But then, um, and then he was like, uh, had these debilitating migraines. And at one point he had to be taken to the ER for it. And they realized they did a scan. They found he had a brain tumor, mm. right? So they put him into surgery, took out the brain tumor, penchant for neuro, for, for uh, child pornography went away. Yeah. It was a function it was a function of a cancer, okay. right? So, like there was, there was like something in his brain that that developed into this. It's kind of weird, right? But very complex um, psych- psychology, like behavior, right? And uh, and then uh, and then later, um, when the uh, when the pension came back, right? Uh, his wife said immediately, "His tumor's back." And they yeah. went and they looked, and it was back. Yeah. So, you know, if if. You know, the, it, it just goes to point to that, you know, the way we develop and the way that our brains are developed, right, can result in, right, you know, after reading his book, my my uncle was a federal defender, right? I want I want to write a book with him, you know, where you know he talked about some of the weirdest crimes that he ever had to yeah, deal with. I but imagine. I want to I want to talk about the neuro, you know, neuro, you know, like physically. Was there something in, in the brain that could have could have caused that? Yeah. Right. So there's, you know, there's a, you know, there's all sorts of interesting questions like free will and all that, you know, in in the brain. So. So on a scale from one to one hundred, what percentage of the brain do we really know about? Oh my God, I can't even answer that. We know so that we know so much, and we know so little, yeah. right? You know, um, and the and the other thing about it is that what's what's really great is that. You are uniquely you, right? And that has to do with all of the things that have happened to you in your life, and all of the thoughts you've had, and all of the um, all of the experiences that you've had, right? And you know, and so um, so that has you be uniquely you, and your brain is, you know, like the different connections that it's made. It's like nobody else's in the world, right? You know, so we we do know like the basic cabling. Right. You know, we know that, you know, there are connections to the to the, you know, to the different areas of the cortex from the striatum. We know that like there's like you, you've laid the basic cabling, but the the actual connections down at the at the cellular level, which produce the things that we think and the memories and all that kind of stuff are different for everybody. Right. So um, so 
you know, do we, we know where genes are expressed in the brain, right? We do know that, right? We know, uh, we know a little bit less about what proteins are expressed where because gene expression doesn't doesn't map onto protein expression, right? And proteins are the things that build the, you know, build the structure of everything. So like there's there's there is stuff, and I, I so I can't answer that because okay. to uh, to answer that question I'd have to know what a hundred percent was, right? Okay. And and you know. That was a very scientific answer. Yeah, well, exactly, right? <laughs> but there's like nuance in that, right? You know, I can yes. give you a number, but then I could never back it up, yeah. right? So, do you think we'll get to the point where we can do brain transplants? Uh, I doubt it. Okay. You know, because we, I don't. Who knows, right? I don't. You know, maybe. You know, there's a, um, there is a, uh, a dissection at McMaster University in Canada, where they have dissected everything away except for the nerves, right? And so you've got this, right? It's the, you know, the peripheral nerves are still part of the brain, right? You know, it's just an arbitrary, it's an ar arbitrary thing that we say, like there's the outside the brain and inside the brain, right? But where does that, where does that ha end, right? So um, to actually take the brain out, Right. And put it into some, there's just so many connections that would need to be remade that it doesn't make sense. I, I, I think. So we have to wait for aliens to come give us the technology to do that. Or, or, you know, I think it's way more likely that we'd be able to upload a consciousness at some point than to be able to do a brain transplant. So, you know, and so, and who knows, right? I'm, I've been reading a bunch of science fiction about transfer of consciousness, which yeah. is awesome, right? So, but, have, you, have you watched a show called um, Your Million? It comes on that geo. So basically, it's your million, like stuff like futuristic scientific stuff. Oh no, yeah, yeah. No, so I one, seen of, it. so one of it is like um, these uh, this um, there this this couple's daughter's about to die. So there's an escalator limo. Do we upload her? No, basically, it's like do we make her an android? She stays around forever. Right. The wife wants to upload her consciousness to live forever. The husband doesn't want to. You know. Mm -hmm. Another thing was like you know in the future, like suppose you um come down with cancer. You get an injection of cancer-fighting robots, little tiny atom bikes, yeah. yeah, and they kill the cancer. You know, all kind of future stuff, right? Yeah, that's it that's that one's off. even closer. That yeah. one's even closer than yeah. But you know, that stuff is that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, like there's there is so much stuff that 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 we could you know have you have you watched Black Mirror at all? No. Black Mirror is awesome. Okay, right. Let me check it out. It's just it's just science fiction about, but it's like you know technology gone wild and there's you know there's this there there's one what you just said reminded me of one of the episodes where um uh, a woman's husband died right and she's just like grieving you know it's like she's got a whole like a whole bunch of grief going on and this company calls and said well you know there's enough there is enough uh sound recordings of him and we could do this now yeah. right there's enough companies sound, that do that right now with sound recordings of him that we could like let you talk to him via the phone, right? Just yeah. to, you know, and so, you know, she would talk and then, you know, th then it gets better and they says, well, you know, we could actually upload into an, into a body. So this body comes, right? Yeah. And it's like, it looks just, but it's, but it's, it's interesting because there's one point where she's like, you know, like apparently he's horrible in bed because he never puts that stuff on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so there's yeah. like a lot of the, the internal stuff that they could never know. Yeah. 
that just makes that that creature, that thing that they created, really shallow mm-hmm. because it's just all the good stuff, right? Yeah. You know, that they didn't, you know, it doesn't talk about any of the difficult times or the negative emotions because, you know, most people don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that whatever you can imagine, you can do, right? But yeah. Maybe not right now, like, you know, go back to Star Trek in the 60s, you know, with the flip phones, the microwave ovens, all the stuff they did. Now that's all true, right? You know, right. And, and who's to say that that it's, uh, we have that now because somebody imagined it once, yeah. right? You know, like like you said, right? You know, it's we can do whatever we imagine. You know, it's a it's it's a there's a lot of amazing things that they do on that that I like to think about in Black Mirror, right? Yeah. Because it's like what, what it comes on. What's it come on? I, uh, it must be Nes- it must be Netflix. Netflix, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's a some. Is that a TV show? T- it's TV a, show? yeah. If you're gonna watch it, don't watch the first episode. Okay. Don't watch it because it. That one is like shocking, mm-hmm. right? And who needs to see Prime Minister fucking a pig, right? You know, what? So, yes, exactly. So it's just like if you watch that one and like that's your introduction to yeah. it, it's kind of like, well, yeah. this is a stupid show. I'm yeah. not watching these. So watch, you know, watch them in any order that okay. they come that that um, that just strikes your fancy, right? You know, there's there's a there's a terrifying episode that. I loved, right? You know, so there's there's a lot of episodes, but so and you've got like five seasons now to, okay. to choose from. So yeah. yeah. Thank thank goodness we were able to binge watch TV shows now, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. And this is one of the ones where don't watch it in order because you don't have to. It's okay. like cause every episode is it's like it's like Twilight Zone, only on steroids. Right. So next, <laughs> let's talk about your first love, astronomy. Yeah. So what got you interested in astronomy back in the day? <laughs> okay. So um I was eight years old. And I walked into the library and my best friend was reading a book. And I said, uh, I said, what are you reading? And he said, oh, you wouldn't be interested in it. It's a it's a book on astronomy and girls don't do astronomy. So I was eight years old when I decided I was going to be an astronomer. And, and it was it wasn't there was no malice. Despite him. It wasn't despite anything. <laughs> there was no malice. But I was just I was just confronted with you can't do this. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Right. And so 11 years later, um, I'm a freshman uh, in college and uh, I'm I'm crunching numbers at the very large array in in New Mexico on the plains of San Augustine. It's that's the radio telescope that's got the 27 different um, telescopes, you know, um, Jodie Foster in contact. That, yeah. that one. Yeah. I was working there and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't want to do this. Right. And so it was so I I just did it is because it was a decision that I made when I was eight years old. So um, there was no uh, there's no thinking or exploring or anything about it. So uh, so I got my physics degree and um, and then, you know, I started to do environmental sciences as well because I liked I've always been a tree hugger. Right. And that's and then I took a couple biology classes and I found G protein coupled receptors. That's what that's that's what had me on this path now. Um, But I've but, uh, you know, I still love I still love the stars and I still love, you know, the everything that, you know, astronomy and the the idea of science fiction and space exploration and all of that stuff. Right. But um, but, you know, how how I started and and it was actually, um, you know, when I I saw on Facebook once there was somebody who lived next door to somebody who'd gotten a letter from Carl Sagan. Right. And they they'd asked they'd written Carl Sagan and they asked him what classes, what astrophysics classes should I take? 
um, as an undergrad. And his response was, don't take any astrophysics classes. Yeah. Just get your basics in physics first and then go into, into um, astronomy studies, astronomical studies. And I really wish that somebody had told me that because, um, you know, I started to take uh, astronomy classes while I was in college, right? And, and actually worked there without having all of the background knowledge that I needed, right? Like, you know, without uh, working my way through differential equations and all that stuff. And so um, it would have been, I think I may actually still have been there had I not jumped straight into astrophysics, right? If I'd actually just gotten my physics degree and then, and then went into it when I, when I had a, ba a, a broader understanding of it. Have you, I'm trying to watch all these James Webb photographs coming back. I know they're amazing. I mean, they? like I, I, I make this back every day. They find like thousands of new galaxies, exactly. these new planets, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it, it's just the stuff that they're showing and the, the fact that it's, it's not matching predictions no. just makes me so happy. It just, cause it's, you know, it's a freaking mystery. The yeah, whole and, they're thing. Like, and they're like pointed at dark space, right? There's nothing there. Oh shit! There's a lot there's, there. There's stuff here too, <laughs> right? So much there. And yeah. it's like you know, like yeah, I mean, of all the million planets, this based on stats has to be something out there, right? Oh yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it has to be something out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I know one thing. This to me, like a lot of people, like we want the aliens to come, like. Do you want aliens to come? Like, right. like, do you really want them to come? Like, can we meet well, somewhere else, like middle of the universe? No. Do you want them coming here first? You know, like, there's there, some bad things could happen to us. Yeah, there's a lot of different, you know. So all we've got is our imaginations on this again, right? You know, and so science fiction is amazing for this, right? You know, and so um, uh, Jin Chin Liu wrote. He's a he's a Chinese author who wrote a Three Body Problem, which is amazing. It's such such a great story, and it's hard science fiction. So, yeah. you know, we find we find out that there's other people, right? And we, you know, we find out, you know, we communicate with them, you know, and then uh, and then so they they decided that our planet looks way more looks way more uh, 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 enticing than yes. their planet, right? Because you know, in their world, there's there's three different suns, and yeah. so they have to dehydrate, and mm. you know, and so like the the whole world's unstable, and the idea of having a stable planet, they love that, yeah. so they're heading our way, right? But it's going to take them 400 years to get here, mm. right? Which is amazing, right? Because then you've got this story playing out of like, what do we do, knowing yeah. that, knowing that these people are coming, and they're way advancing us, and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, so and it's so it's a it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's an amazing amazing story, but. So here's one for you. This is how you, I think you take up Earth, right? You're like, suppose there's an alien, aliens, well, aliens out there, right? Right. More, more advanced with us, everything, right? Yeah. They come to us. If I was them, I would just send one person, right? You just send one person? Yeah. Yeah. But the person says, I'm God. Yeah. I'm God or Allah, with the case to be Buddha, and you show your power, whatever, you know. And yeah. Then, like, that's it. There's, okay, there's so many, there's so many stories based on that as well, you know. Um, but the, uh, like the, the, the Tchaikovsky one, right? That the whole thing was, you know, they sent the monkeys down on a list and they, they had put somebody in a sleeping pod and they were going to be God, um, right? They were going to be God, you know, yeah. to these to these creatures. They, they literally are God, yeah. right? Which also makes me think, you know, when I, you know, I, I think it's, of all the creation stories, I think um, genetically modified humans is probably what I mean, happened. You know, there's so many creation stories. Like people don't realize that, there's so many, so many of them are the same, though. Yeah, they are. Right, they like, are the there's same. So, there's so many like Noah's Ark stories in different places. You know, there's so many like right. Like you know, there's so many like you know, the virgin birth of you know whatever, whatever you know. Yeah. Thinking back to the they're way all goddess and goddess and child, god yeah. and goddess and child, right? Yeah. So, but but 
you know, when you, if you, if you think about, you know, we keep talking about, you know, to any, uh, to any beings and if, and if, you know, a sufficiently advanced technology Mm. will look like magic. Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know, the, you know, the way they talk about, you know, in the Bible, they talk about how, um, Eve was, was made from the rib. Yeah. It turns out that that's, it's not the rib, right? It's, it's this from a half of a man, mm-hmm. right? It just sounds to me like they took, you know, rep- reproductive, you know, like the DNA from one half yeah. and reproductive from another half and they put them together and, you know, created what we are here. Yeah. You know, we, we were probably some of the apes that were walking mm-hmm. around, right? Just, and then, you know, with God, right? Yeah. You know, whatever those And then the thing that says, you know, like the Bible says the earth was many seven days. But, you know, some people say, well, each day is actually a thousand years to God, you know. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, we had to come somewhere, right? So, but did a God create us? I don't know. Then again, are you telling me that two small atoms is banged together and it's all happened? That's, you know, like. Who knows, uh, right? Yeah. You know, given enough time, everything will happen. Yeah. Right? Like the whole theory about, you know, you'll eventually get a, you get enough monkeys banging away on a computer eventually somebody eventually one of them will do the shakespeare's works right? yeah yeah you know so yeah, like true. random you know you give enough time and you know which is why scientists like to study uh like drosophila right those flies because they've got a, a you know i think they die within a day right so they've got an entire lifespan happening within a day yeah. right so you can you can do evolutionary studies on them like you can you know you can change something and then watch what happens where do where do they evolve to do you think the human race is actually getting smarter or we've we been the same level of smartness or dumbness since the beginning of the time of course the technology gotten better right yeah. but, but the basic human being have we that's a good smarter? question right i don't uh i think you argue we've gotten more ethical more moral i think you make the argument but i've actually gotten smarter uh, yeah well it's it's interesting because you know we were we went to the uh, I was I was saying we went to the museum the the museum of flight yesterday, <coughs> and they were they were getting ready you know and if you've watched um, hidden figures right yeah, yeah you know they're getting ready to launch a uh, a rocket right and they've got these these notebooks they're flipping through pages right on these notebooks and I was, I was like they they didn't they didn't have computing power so what what do you mean by smart right That's a good point. you know because because yeah. obviously different types of smarts who's, and- who's to say that that right like who's to say somebody who speaks to spirits isn't smart right you know like there's some people who would say well that's definitely not smart right but um you know we i, I used to be able to remember phone numbers and in fact i oh, yeah, that's know, done right but you yeah. don't you don't need to do that anymore but that used to be a measure that, that of part how of your smart brain you can are. be used for something else exactly right so um like what does what does smart mean right you know uh, um you know i would argue uh being able to make leaps Right. You know, that that aren't like logically following. You know, I I've got a novel in my brain somewhere about, you know, how um, like the people who are really innovative, like make just they make a leap. It's like they yeah. didn't follow a path, but they, they could jump a chasm. Yeah. Right. And have have something come together. Right. I, I definitely there's like once in generation people come like, you know, obviously Leonard da Vinci, Nikolai Tesla. Maybe, but you know, maybe that's just okay. So you know, maybe that's just white privilege, right? Mm-hmm. You know, who's to say? I mean, there's like all the stuff happened in Africa, Asia. You exactly. Know, who's to China say? China was so far ahead of us and everything. How many? Who's to say? How many Beethovens? How many? How many Einsteins that um, we don't know about? That yeah. we don't know about because you know they died early because of dysentery. Yeah. Because yeah, they don't I mean, have we don't know about because they had like you know lug water two miles a day for 
a dollar a day or something. Because they grew up in Flint. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Flint, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like what's, who's to say, right? So, you know, that's, that's the whole thing about smart. Like, what is that? You know, if you, oh, there's, there's, there's so many comics about how if you, if you judge a fish by um, whether or not they can climb a tree, yeah, they're going to yeah. look, they're going to. Yeah, gonna, the meme, like you have the final test, climb a tree, you got the fish and all this different right. stuff, you know, and like. And it's just the monkeys, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, and that's how we measure smart, right? You know, that for a long time, we were, we were really clear that, that, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I was like, what do you mean dogs don't have a soul? What's, what, you know? Yeah, of what's, course they do. What's, yeah, exactly. What do you, what do you mean by that? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and first that's of all, blas that's blasphemous right there. Right. But, you know, first of all, how did they figure that out? One yeah. out, right. You know, they just had an idea and they're like that that uh, doesn't conform to my worldview, so. So this popped my mind. So so when x-rays first came out, supposedly when someone was dying, they would try to take, uh, you put the x-ray to try to take the x-ray of the soul leaving the body. So, yeah, and I don't think, so, huh. So there, there's a, there's a whole world of like, what is consciousness, yeah. right? You know, I, you know, I worked at, at the Allen Institute with Christoph Koch, and he's probably one of the foremost researchers on consciousness. And for years, for a long decades, he's been looking for neural correlates of consciousness, right? And so, you know, what if, what if it isn't, what if it isn't low in the brain, right? Who knows? <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe there is a locus of consciousness in the brain, but it's looking more and more like it's not, that's not the case. Right. You know, there's like, you know, is it a, an emergent property of complexity? Who knows? Right. There's just so many theories now. So, so. talk about this, like, so like, but you're, you're, you're by yourself, you're watching TV, whatever case you be. And then a moon pops your head of you having like, you know, brownies with grandmother. Yeah. And then it's like fixes to like you're playing baseball. Yeah. And like all these names that pop in and they have nothing to do with each other, right? Right. What's well, that about? It's not. How does that work? Like there's no correlation. To me, there's no correlation, right? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Yeah. Well, I'd like you to consider that there is. Like that's how the brain learns things is is you associate things. So you'll find yourself like, you know, you'll, you'll, so you'll go like, on a tangent, right? And yeah. you'll, you know, you're thinking about a yellow pencil and then you think about a school bus. And then the last time you were on a school bus and then that person, and I saw that person look just like that person, you know, like, and so it, it is connected. So I guess there's a great phrase that like, you start with number one, we'll say oranges and thought of ten is like something like nowhere close to oranges. Like how's that thing go? Yeah. So, but it is, it is a, it is a path, right? You know, how we learn is we associate things with something that we know. And that's also how, how the memory works is right. So you can, you know, you can find yourself. And uh, so I was saying about meditation, right? I, like I, for a long time, I tried to meditate and I couldn't meditate. And, uh, and then I started meditating with Sam Harris. So he's a neuroscientist. And I like to think that what he did is he's, he's got enough background on how the brain works that he really does just help you trick yourself into meditating. And, um, you know, one of the, a lot of what his meditations look like are just you noticing all of the stuff that comes up, like any sensations you have from sitting. Right. Um, and then, and then noticing like sounds that happen and then noticing like thoughts that come up and, and, and his whole thing is like, notice that you're not doing any of that. All of that stuff is just doing it naturally. Right. So your brain, you know, so like you have got no, uh, you've got no control over the different sounds, like people will walk in or yeah. the birds will, you know, and all that, but it happens over here in your consciousness. Right. Um, and you're, and the, 
And then there's the the thoughts that you have that just, you don't even, you don't even have to think to yourself, okay, I'm going to think about elephants, right? It's just like, all of a sudden you're like on this, like this path and all of a sudden elephants show up, right? You know, it's so, um, so perhaps consciousness is just a space in which all of that arises. So he does a great job. And so, you know, you find yourself meditating and you find yourself starting to get really good at meditating, just allowing your brain to do what it does. And then yeah. just to notice what it's doing. Also, it's amazing. Like every when you was a little kid, like when I was a little kid, I used to stay with my grandparents for the summertime, right? Yeah. Every day I walked my grandmother to the post office. Every day we go to the local corner store, general store, she would buy me an orange soda and a thing of Starbucks. Yeah. So whenever I see orange soda, Starbucks, I really like, think of that right. It's right? like my heart melts right. Yeah. And if someone says they don't like Starbucks, like you're the devil. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you're right? the demon. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh, what the fuck's wrong with you? Because it's because it's like it's got such a thing in your heart, yeah. right? You know, and so which is also where we start um, getting all xenophobic about people. That's true. Right. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, I remember, I remember so you're saying don't call people don't like Starbucks demons. I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember somebody telling me like, you can't like Peter Gabriel. That's his music is just awful. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I like but I, I do. Yeah. I like, I'm a fan. I like, I like his music. Yeah. Right. But the idea that I like, it's wrong for me to like what I mm. like. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just kind of weird, you know? And, you know, people like, you know, heavy metal. And I'm like, eh, I don't yeah. understand. So something totally random, right? Yeah. Back to Sada Decadelics. Yeah. I don't care anyone says me, no one can tell me that Liz Zeppelin didn't make all the music on LSD. <laughs> I don't care what you say. They made that music on LSD. You this, know, I had a... You can't, you can't, there's no way you can convince me otherwise. I had a, oh, I should share a, p a playlist with you. Um, uh, that's just a friend of mine, you know, you know, he did a lot of acid when he was, when he was younger, but you know, there's, there's a, like I had a friend, there was a bunch of us sitting around and this, this guy was really straight laced and he was like, why would anybody smoke marijuana? Like, why would anybody do that to themselves? And, and you know, a bunch of us potheads are sitting around yeah. and, and, uh, and one of them said, because of music. Yeah. And uh, he was like, what? And he says, music is totally different oh, yeah. when you're high oh yeah right and no doubt. and and uh and so and and it, it, it's funny because i you know my parents were hippies and mm -hmm. and so i like i was exposed to a lot of jethro tall and moody blues and all this all this psychedelic music and then when i went back to listen to it as a teenager i'm like i don't understand right like because there was definitely a like a space mm -hmm. for that right and then um you know, then when I started uh, getting interested in psychedelics, right? And then there's something that happens with music, yeah. right? Like the way your brain uh, yeah. takes in it music, so it's amazing, right? And so, and you know, the, so this is also, so I was raised Catholic and, uh, you know, I was trapped in that cult for a long time. Um, and mostly because uh, the music is so amazing, right? Like they, you know, there's a, the composers there, they knew how to mess with the mind, right? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and it's, you, like, you'll listen to some of them, some of them, like, there are some composers that are synesthetes, mm -hmm. right? Which means that they can see colors. I yeah. mean, they can hear colors, right? So like, like, um, a, a note has a particular color to them, right? And, um, if you listen to their music, sometimes it sounds a little off, but once you realize they're synesthetes, it's because yeah. they are, seeing the music right and so it's got a you know that particular note combination you know uh did something in their visual field right you know that so which i'm fascinated by right and so that's one of and the things like, about, and it all syncs together yeah i uh, you know uh, on psilocybin right i you know if you've got your eyes closed and you're listening to music and you start to see colors mm -hmm. just 
it, you know, as, as an experiment, right? Because everything's an experiment, yeah. right? Just notice if the same note gives you the same color, right? And so okay. I, I did that once, right? And I was like, wow, it's the same color. Each the note is always the same color. So I was watching the the color shift, but I could I could relate it to the actual sound. And I'm like, this is synesthesia. This is amazing. Yeah, one time right? I, I was on it and like I was Liz Zeppelin. I was watching like a nature show, like sea creature stuff, and like all the sea creatures were like lip syncing perfectly to Liz Zeppelin. <laughs> Like I, I know what it's like, you know, like uh, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's insane. It's a, it's it cracks me up how um, how uh, cannabis is so dangerous, right? But if you know, if you watch, you know, I've I've uh, had my my kids, right? You know, uh, when they had their friends over. Um, I'm not saying whether or not they were in college or not yet, but you know, but they. Uh, all they wanted to do was turn on Animal Planet, right? Yeah. Or Blue Planet, right? And watch that. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, really? That's, that's an indicator. Yeah. I'm like, is that, that might be an indicator. Yeah, exactly. Is that, you know, that's dangerous, do you, really? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. One thing about marijuana, like, I know some people are out there, they say, you know, how can we be focused, energetic? Some people say, like, oh, man, I can't do anything on it. So I think it definitely affects people different ways. Well, so let's go a little brain science there. Okay. Right. So um, the most abundant. Receptor in the brain is the cannabinoid receptor. Then I know that. It means it's everywhere, right? Which is why people people use it for anxiety. Mm -hmm. People also get anxious when they're on it. They get paranoid while they're on it. People use it to sleep. People use it for their appetite. People use it for pain. People okay. use it for being creative because um, the different the different strains, the different yeah. terpenes. I, I have a work. good friend, like he, he tells me like he has an anger problem. He said he, he feels so angry. He takes like a 10 MG enroll yeah. and then he's like, Right. Egg was gone. Yeah. So there's, so it's, th those receptors are everywhere in the brain. Right. And so like the, the question that I think is fascinating is like, well, why are they everywhere in the brain? What are we, what are they doing? Right. You know, it's yeah. so the cannabinoid receptor yeah. researchers, they were fascinating. They were, I'm sure they were all potheads as well because, yeah. you know, you can't study such an interesting, such an interesting drug that has such interesting phenomenon and not want to like yeah. understand what it is that's happening from I the inside. One, one thing I do kind of wish, like when I was growing up, you know, it was like you went to the corner guy, got your ten bag, dime bag of weed. Now you now you go to the store, the surgery. How do you want to feel? Here's twenty thousand options. Exactly, like, right? Like you can drink it, smoke it. Like no, it's too many options. Well, it's um because there's there's a lot of different com. It's, it's such a combinatorics problem. It's yeah. awesome. But you know, I remember when I when I um I first went into a, a dispensary, and I was like, uh, okay. So it's been 20 years since I've done this. Is there anything I should know? And he says, oh, yeah, okay, hold on. Right? And he they sell you off at the kitty level. <laughs> right? Well, no, he he pulls out um, some ACDC, which mm -hmm. is primarily CBD. And he says, so first thing you got to know is this is this this shit is way stronger than it yeah. was 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. So if you get a little green, which means you start getting sick from being too high, take a little of this. Yeah. Right? And I was like, okay, that is some information that's good, good yeah, to have, right? Good information. And then I said, well, I like feeling giggly and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And then I learned a whole lot, a bunch of stuff. Like I was like, I thought for sure I, I don't like Indicas, mm. right? But now, right? You know, I mostly I do edibles now because, yeah. you know, I, I don't like the, I don't like smoking. <laughs> Except when I'm with my dad, he's got yeah. these amazing double water rigs that are awesome. So I don't, uh, it doesn't, you know, my dad's been a, been a pothead since he was a teenager. So, you know, but, um, so there's, uh, you know, there, you get to tweak it any, mm -hmm. any way you want. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, uh, 
my mother-in-law, when she was dealing with cancer, it was, it was, you know, for a long time, you know, she's kind of conservative. So she's like, no, I'm not going to try that. That's yeah. like drugs are bad, you know, the whole thing. But then she was like, okay, I, cause she has adverse, uh, experiences with, with narcotics. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're like, you know, it would for pain, for, for pain mediation, you know, that might, that might actually be good. So she finally said that she wanted to do that, but you know, you should talk to somebody who, so the, 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 the cannabis that, her other son bought her was um, high in THC. So she got really, really high. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there are some, there are some uh, strains that are narcotic like. So she yeah. had the same experience that she did on narcotics. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that was like, she's like, okay, I'm done. Right. Which is too bad. You know, she should have had a, like a heavy CBD with maybe yeah. a tiny, tiny bit of THC. But, but again, if you've got, if you're in prohibition, you can't even study that stuff. You no. can't even talk about, about the different, and now, you know, now we can at least start to talk about all the different yeah. things. Like, what is it? What is it that makes me giggle? Yeah. Right? Like me, I, I can't do Indica. If I do Indica, I'm out. Like, I'm but, out. But if you want to be out, that's the perfect thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so I can't remember his name. He lives in Edmonds. So he has his own PBS where he travels all over, over around the world and stuff. Rick Steves. Rick Steves. He's he's a, like, he is an advocate for, oh yeah. for the cannabis. Yeah, yes. he is. He's like, you know, my grandmother takes this yeah. for pain. Are you telling me some of my grandmother takes to make her life better is illegal? Yeah. Like, get the fuck out of here. Exactly. You know? Right? Well, it's the whole the whole thing about like making uh, – so here's the, – the, this is one aspect of the, of the whole psychedelic re- renaissance that I am like – I find very troubling, which is the, you know – the drug companies, like I said, they stumbled on Prozac, right? And now they're like, "Ooh, this stuff is good." So how do we, how do we uh, patent psilocybin? Yeah. Right. Like ha- you don't, right? But the way you can do it is you can create a molecule that's not psilocybin, that's not like in any plant medicines, but that has the same kind of effect, right? And so, and they're looking for like, well, let's let's see if we can isolate the antidepressant aspect of it and because then what they can do is they can patent that put it in a bottle and give it to you the rest of your life right like it's the next prozac kind of thing so you know i you know i I talked i talked to a friend of mine and she says yeah we're we're taking the fun out of fungi and i was like okay but why would you do that right you know because like what if so for so for me like there's a lot of people who advocate for why would you experience pain while you're in labor right and you know you know, and a lot of spiritual traditions would talk about it being transformative, right? Yeah. You know, like there, but I also agree with like, you know, the, it, pain that's like chronic pain, you should deal with pain, oh, yeah. right? Like that, you know, I'm, I'm also, um, I'm training to be a hospice volunteer, right? And, you know, one of the things about hospice is like, you know, pain, you know, treating, treating the pain actually yeah. helps the, the quality of life. Yeah. But, you know, so the, the, there's the whole thing about it being transformative, like being able to, to move through the space, right? So I was saying that for I some mean, reason. one good thing about pain, if you have pain, at least you know, you know you're alive, right? Exactly. So it's a living experience. So, I mean, yeah. pain can be good, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when my... But every day, my mother, not. Yeah. My, uh, my stepmom, who had esophageal cancer, right? She, she treated a lot of that. That's like, that's pain because she can't breathe. Right. And because there's something growing in her chest that they can't get out. Right. You know, like that's that's a good that's a good kind of pain to treat with with medication. And it's, you know, like people have different pain. What's the word of pain? um, Oh, man. um, Like pain, uh, not limitations, but a pain. um, 
we have like different pain levels, right? Like yeah. my oh. pain level is different from yours. Yes, thresholds. Threshold pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah pain yeah, threshold. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. Right. Like, like for me, it's fun. Like you know, if you hit me in my mouth or my chest, I'm okay. But if you pinch me, I'm crying <laughs> like a bitch. Like if you pinch me, I'm crying like a bitch. <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny too, because that's, you know, one of the things they talk about consciousness and, you know, if you actually really think about it, like your experience, I have no idea what you're experiencing in here right now. I like, I'm experiencing my, what's going on with, you know, all of this stuff in here, but, um, who knows, like our, you know, I'm just assuming that your experience is the same as mine. Right. But it can't be. We have different backgrounds, different brains, different everything. Right. Right. right? So which, how much of this stuff is. And like, I've done this like hundreds of times. Right. I don't know how many times you've done a podcast, you know, you're in my environment, you know, big bright ass light. I'm asking these random ass questions, you know. Exactly, right? So, yeah, there is that that whole aspect of it, right? You know, and so it's... Uh, I think like, you're the expert at everything. I'm not an expert. I'm just being curious, asking questions. Like, you might be like, these are fucking dumbass questions they're asking me, right? Yeah. Or you might, you know, you never know. You never know, right? You know, that's why, that's why I appreciate you asking the question. Is there anything you want me to ask you? And I'm like, yeah. nah. Yeah. Right? You know, let's just, let's, let's, let's have this be a meandering, meandering pond kind of thing, right? So... Pond, river, river. That's what's the, your that's the bourbon? What's your favorite publication you've done so far, and why? My favorite publication. That Either you got the most out of, the most impact, or you just have the most fun doing whatever case may be. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, so I uh, my dissertation. Nobody's read that. Right. Nobody's read my dissertation, but it really was. Well, hopefully your panel read it. Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) But it's it's um, it was a lot of a lot of different things. Right. And I I think um, the I liked there there was one paper that I wrote in that. Right. It was the first paper that I ever wrote. But part of why I loved it so much was because um, I said, you know, I, I, I heard about this. G protein coupled receptors, right? I heard about this meeting, a G protein coupled receptor meeting that happens once every four years. And I, and I missed it. Right. Cause it was like, I was just a brand new graduate student, but I was like, I want to go to that meeting. And so, um, so I, uh, I submitted, I, I submitted that four years later, I, I submitted an abstract and, uh, and it was accepted. Right. And in fact, I, I wasn't they actually gave me a slot where I could give a presentation. And so um, so I gave a 10 minute presentation and uh, and uh, it was it was just it was just, you know, different an analysis of kinetic states of a receptor binding. Right. It's you know, that's like, you know, it's like that's so in the weeds. Right. But um, but I got to I got to present it to um uh, Bob Lefkowitz and Brian Kabilka. And so these, these were big names in G protein coupled receptor research. And in fact, they won the Nobel prize several years later. So the fact that I got to like wow. talk about that science with them and, and, uh, you know, stupid little things. That's freaking cool right there. Yeah. Right. Like, that's, that's, yeah. That's, 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 to me, that's bragging part right there. <laughs> but the cool yeah. thing about it was like, you know, there's stupid things, right? Like they were annoyed that nobody, nobody was on time with their presentations. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I have this, like I, you know, I, I want people to, to be respected. Right. And one of the things that I thought was most disrespectful is you're given 30 minutes to talk and you talk for an hour and a half, right? Like that's like, 
that just is like disrespectful yeah. of, of the highest order. So like, um, and, and I had that well, very basic manner right there. Exactly. That everyone right. Goes up with, I think. So, so I made sure that my presentation was 10 minutes and they acknowledged me for that. Right. And I was like, I was like really pleased with that kind of thing. So, and, and for some reason, like I'm, you know, I, I make sure that I'm on time with stuff. So I like that. We so here's one for you. Let's suppose, well, first of all, have you heard this before? If you want to make sure you're unemployed for life, get a PhD. Uh, no, I haven't, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense, right? You yeah. know, um, I the reason I got a PhD is because I never wanted to leave school. Yeah. Right? I love. I mean, school's a great time, right? You're in your little bubble. You enjoy yourself. You're like, yeah. you know, you're kind of insulated, you know? But it was, but it was also just, you know, I got to, I got to learn about physics and I got to, you know, like the different jobs that I had. Like I worked at the very large array. Then I also worked at a, a, a lightning lab where we were inside a big Faraday cage and I got to do, you know, uh, I got to monitor thunderstorms with radar and you know then you know and uh, you know I, I took another job where i just worked for the for the provost and you know uh, you know i learned to write right and i loved i loved writing i liked yeah. you know i uh you know i uh, there was a there was my very first published published thing was when i was a graduate student in a i i can't even remember where it was but it was just talking about social constructs right you know and it was just a, a letter that i wrote in and they they printed it, but I loved that aspect, like just the, the, the banter, right? I actually have a blog called science banter, right? Which is just like, just like bouncing yeah. ideas. Like I love talking with people and just bouncing ideas off. And is this such thing as good ideas or bad ideas or ideas? Just an idea. It's an idea is just an idea. Okay. You know, it's a, I think it's a, a, it's a bad idea if you throw a million dollars at it, expecting to get five million dollars back. That, like that, and it, that could be a bad idea. Yeah, a lot, a lot of startups do that. <laughs> exactly right, but it's not necessarily a bad idea. And chances are, it might have actually been a great idea. It was just really poor implementation. So there's no such, yeah. Thank you for letting me clarify. I just walked through that one with you. Yeah. There's no such thing as a bad idea, right? You know, what you do with the idea, you know, cause like, like the, the whole thing with like the atom, you know, the, the atom bomb, was that a good idea or a bad idea? It was a fascinating idea, yeah. right? Basically yeah. now I think, I think that like, I, I read this, I, I think recently they, they did some fusion recently, was they think like in 20 years that we have to cure all the energy whatever yeah. and that doesn't happen if you don't someone back in you know doesn't do that item bomb back in the day right yeah you know the the i was talking to somebody recently i can't remember who it was but they said i think we're gonna solve fusion and i said yeah i, I do too. like i have yeah. the 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 experience that fusion is actually gonna get get sorted out and i and i do think that um g given where theoretical physicists are playing mm -hmm. these days and that you know there's a lot of our reality so many amazing things well yeah but uh, we're, we're right on the edge granted some of the scary like normal person like you know like oh my goodness we can't do this you know but i mean yeah well you know the whole the whole thing like you know open ai models right that, that those aren't going to kill us right and i and i I, you know, I don't know enough to know if we're yeah. actually going to get to an artificial general intelligence, yeah. right? You know, but who's, who's to, if, you know, uh, Christoph it, Koch, it, one of the things he says is that, that consciousness may be a function of complexity, in which case, you know, the internet may actually be conscious at this yeah. point, but then I mean, who's, who's it going to talk to? If Skynet does come, we can all blame Sam Altman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sam Altman destroyed humanity. <laughs> so, but, you know, so it's a, yeah, it's a. Uh, that's a fascinating question, right? So, it is. So here's a question for you: Like, regardless of your discipline, right? Because you have a PhD, right? 
And just to make it simple, suppose you had like learn 100 things, 100 truths to get your PhD or whatever, right? Yeah. Let's suppose 10 years later, it's proven 80 of those things are false. Yeah. So only 20 things are true. You have to go back and get your PhD over again? No, that's what science is. Okay. Science is so always... Your, what's your PhD? You have your PhD. Yeah, because it's... Cause it's uh, yeah, that's the other thing, right? You know, a lot of people say... You know, I don't care what your bachelor's in, but, you know, the fact that you could withstand that hell for four years means that you could work here. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't I don't buy into that. But yeah. um, so basically saying if you can make your life sick for four years, you can work in my second company. Yes. Yeah, exactly. If you can if you can withstand if you could if you've got a high tolerance for that kind of pain, you can work for anybody. I would right? I would tort. So you're saying if I can be drunk every day in your company, I can work there. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, right? Um, yeah. The the uh, so the whole thing about getting a PhD is just around the critical thinking, okay. right? You know the the um, a, a, you know a lot of how science has moved forward is is things are proven wrong. Mm -hmm. Like here's an idea, let's test this idea. Oh, it looks good. This looks good. This looks good. It keeps looking good. Oh no, it's it's wrong, right? And so you know you could base your entire especially if you're younger, your entire career on, a, on an idea to have it be, have it be proven mm -hmm. false. And that doesn't, that doesn't negate what you did. Like, you know, um, you know, because, because funding um, is based on finding new things, which yeah. is stupid, right? You know, like there are so many things that aren't reproducible, but it doesn't matter that they're not reproducible because nobody goes back and checks or if they do check, you know, you know what I mean? Mostly people just get annoyed, right? But then they, then you can't actually get published disproving something, right? You can only get published by showing something new. So there's, it's like, it's, it's another aspect where, um, the, where just the whole, just the, the whole, the whole way it works, right. It's, you know, it's looking at the wrong things, right. You know, people trying to get tenure, people trying to get people, you know, trying to get promoted and all that, you know, they can't, there's only certain things that they can look at. Right. You know, I think when people get a Nobel, Nobel prize, often, oftentimes they just go what looks like nuts because they can they can have any idea that they want and they can chase any idea that they want which i think is wasted on the old right you should you should have young people with you know minds that are like you know really agile right and you know and with you know poor risk analysis skills right <laughs> like they should be the ones doing really new and, and exciting things but it's like they're usually put into a box saying okay if you want to you want to get your phd you got to think this way and if you yeah. want to get if you want to get a postdoc you got to you got to think this way and toe this take line these boxes and, and do this thing right? and, and and you know and there's so few jobs if you want to go into academia right that it's like it's painful to get in so don't step out of line and you know, once you finally get tenure, you know, you don't want to lose tenure and you don't want to lose your funding because if you lose your funding, they may actually kick you out anyway, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it's just there's just a it's a, a science isn't really a especially, you know, in this in this the way we the way we run science now, it's not a great place to go into if you're a, an innovative and wild thinker. Right. You should you might as well go go into the startup world and and uh, and and create, innovate, make yeah. things. Yeah. So what's your opinion? Let's suppose you have two people, two group of people, right? One group of people, they're all 50 years and above, right? Yeah. And there's a good mix of people, different intelligence, whatever case may be. Basically, the videos though, everything you do to run a society, right? Like electricians, trading people. And then you have a group of 10 years and below who can do the same thing. 
Which one do you think would be more successful, the 10-year-olds or the 50-year-olds? To, to run to run things? Yeah, to run society. Well, what society, like you take one, the videos in above, put them in the, like a state of Nebraska, the 10-year-old below, put them in the state of the Kansas, right? Which do I think would do better? Yeah. Kansas. Kansas, okay. I do. I really do. Because, you know, they're, um, they're going to try more things. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to, they're, they're less likely to be married to their idea. Okay. Right. Like they don't care. Yeah. Like, Oh shit, that man, that didn't work. Let's not do that one again. Yeah. Let's try something else. Yeah. Right. But as you get older, you start, you know, thinking, thinking more rigidly. You right? stay in your box. right? Yeah. And you're like, okay, this thing, this thing should have worked. Why didn't it work? Okay. Let's, let's try it, try it again. And let's tweak this little thing as opposed to like, well, that didn't. Okay, that that thing you said with the swing, trying that. Let's try that. Let's see if that works, right? You know. So I, I I do think, you know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they kill more people too, though. You know. That's, you know <laughs> it's like, yeah, ten year olds should be able to drive, right? It yeah. depends. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but you know, I. So next one, like, so like you have like two people, right? Two kids, but it kids be two people, right? I think some people like. They go to like, you know, a swimming pool, right? One person will go to the highest diving board and jump in. Other person, like, you know, tip the toe in. And like, why do some people like be so, like, so like, I won't say scared, scared but other people like go all in, right? Well, I, I think a lot of that phenomenon is learned, right? You know, like there's, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, re- I remember being, uh, I was watching this, this little kid and me and me and her mom were watching her and she she grabbed this balloon and then she kind of tripped and she fell on the balloon like this kind of thing. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Right. The little airbag right there. But but the mom was freaked out because when she was little, she'd had a balloon burst on her like that. Right. And so like there was there was an there was an element of not allowing her daughter to have that experience because she'd she'd had a bad experience with that. Right. And so. Is this related to what I said, what, what you asked? Yeah, it's like there, the, the, uh, some of the things that we learn, we, it's not because we learned ourselves. It's because we were scared into learning them. You know what I mean? So, you know, and there's some, you know, my, my, my uh, philosophy while raising my kids was to, um, to, to give them enough space to find themselves without, without getting themselves killed. Right. Like, so there's aspects of like, okay, you know, you can't play with the knives. Right. But, but give you a lot of space to, right. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways in which my kids got hurt, but it was because they were like, huh, well, I can't fly. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. My kids, obviously they're all grown. I disagree with this, but when I, my my philosophy growing up, like, you know, like if my kid was in like a swing, right. Hey dad, push me. I push them as I can. But basically, I'll fall out and bust the ass, right? <laughs> you know, and then you go there, wipe them off, get back in the swing, right? Right. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing, right? You know, there's there's a uh, if if kids weren't so ex, so um, exposed to what we were afraid of, yeah, right? Like they like they have a fear of going going there, going too high or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so um, you know, who knows why? You know, and then this also gets into. You know, maybe it's not their fear. Yeah. Right. You know, there. You know, there's. There, what was the? Uh, there was a there was a movie that I loved, which which was about. It was a researcher who studied eyes, and and he found, he found, um, 
the all eyes were like different, like different fingerprints. Um, but they were the, they were the, you know, the, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Yeah. And so the idea was that if you had the exact same iris, that soul, that was the same soul born into another body. Right. And so, um, you know, so it's like, it was an interesting idea. Like there are some people who, uh, have irrational fears of something. Right. And so in this, in this movie, like, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I, I believe this. I'm not saying I don't believe this either. Right. But in this movie, um, how she died, how she, this soul died in one of their lives was in an elevator. Okay. Right. And so when they found this soul again, they were trying to determine is this is this the same is this the same soul and they they pretty much determined okay it's not so then they were saying okay it was like this little kid in india right so they were they took the they they, they were just going to let the kid go back and you know be a homeless kid and on the street it turned out to be but they tried to get her to go into an elevator and she wouldn't go in an elevator she was terrified of the elevator right so was that her fear was that from a past life you know what you know yeah that's a good point like it's amazing what, what people like do or don't do like like my son he has never eaten bread in his life. Never eaten bread. Or hamburger. He's like in his twenties. Okay. Never and eaten is, bread or hamburger. Is that is that because of you? No. I and, love hamburger and bread. Okay. And he's just never eaten it? No, never eaten. Wow. Like, okay. Like never eaten bread or hamburger. We don't know why. He just like it was crazy. Like those you know, little kids, I would always like go to the store, buy go, like buy some eat, buy hamburgers. There's a hamburger chase like like, are you kidding me right now? Like how <laughs> you know that he doesn't like this, right? <laughs> So that that's funny, right? Like, yeah. where does that come from, right? So, I don't, and I don't know where. Yeah, all our family likes that, them, you know. Like, we just. I don't know where that stuff comes from. Yeah. you know, uh, all of the things come from, and and a lot of it is, you know, uh, some of it's learned. Maybe some of it's just imprinted. Who knows, right? Yeah. You know, maybe there is. You know, we do we do know that uh, DNA methylation can go can go several generations, right? Yeah. So maybe that is a way to have the generational memory, right? Yeah. Like there may be a biological basis for that, but maybe it's not yours. Maybe it's not your fear. Yeah, and then like my two of my kids, like, you know, like you use like, you know, like you might drink after somebody or someone. Two of my kids, they will only eat or drink after their grandmother. Not me, not the <laughs> mother. But only, they will only eat or drink after their grandmother. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, that's so, not, yeah it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So talk about the... Um, Something called, I think it's called Seattle Science Cafe. Yeah. What is that? So uh, there, there's a one of the one of the. So this is the whole thing where I started off the whole thing about how scientists should be able to speak to the public, right? But part of the part of the reasons that you know some people are afraid to ask questions because they're going to look like an idiot, right? So um, this this international. But some people don't you know help don't need any help looking like an idiot. That's though. right. Exactly. That's true. But. Um, but, you know, when you're asking questions, right, this goes back to a good idea or a bad idea. Like, what if you could talk to an expert in the field and be able to ask any question at all, like even a stupid question, right? Um, and so that's the idea around the science cafes. And it's an international movement. And uh, in in Seattle, um, we I was I was like, this is we've got to bring this to Seattle. And I, I met up with a woman named Gretchen because I wasn't you know, she was all about about creating venues and getting the venues and all that. And so she had that handled. She says, the thing that I can't do is like get people to come talk. And I was like, that's, that's what I love to do. Right. Like I love to in, invite people to come talk and, and give these kinds of, give these kinds of talks. So we were founders. We, we founded the, uh, science on tap, right. Which is, uh, the Seattle science cafe. And, uh, you know, and what you do is you, you bring a scientist in and they talk for 20 minutes and then the rest of the time, and you've got a beer, 
right? Which helps loosen, you know, any inhibitions, right? Exactly. And they, um, so they can ask any question, right? And so, you know, so people would be able to like somebody come in and talk about, you know, physics or, you know, like astrophysics or whatever, right? And then people would be able to ask any kind of question they wanted to. And, uh, and so that's the idea is that you get 20 minutes and then you get, and then you, and then you just ask questions. And, and is it like once a month, once a yeah. week? Once a month. Yes, once a month. And how does like someone get invited to this? Like, oh, it's it's a oh to talk. You mean? Yeah, or just to, to go in general? Just to go do it. Yeah, you get on their their mailing list. They okay. send you an email, and they said this the one this month is on this, and you get and you go in and hang out and drink beer and listen to somebody talk about something interesting, and then ask all the questions you want. So, nice. so this is like a, a, a kind of hard question. I think. Why do you think there's so few females in STEM? Uh, because guys are dicks. So. <laughs> we can't be. I'll be to that. So, so uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, that was the bourbon talking. Um, I, I mean, I, and there's stats out there that show, like, you know, like, an average school, like 80% of females are interested in STEM at elementary school. Because it's, it drops down to 10% in high school. Yeah, it's because it's, because it's, uh, it's, when, when you are told that you can't do something because of something you've got no control over, right? It, like, you know, it's, at some point, you know the 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 worst the worst thing about somebody saying so, you know how they talk about sticks and stones will break my names will never hurt me. Um, it's it's not true. I've got a there's a there's a there's a great there's a great joke or or moral story you could say you know there's the the umpires right. You know there's a a reporter who's talking to an umpire and he he speaks to a a a a, a, a young a young umpire and he says. How do you do it? How do you how do you do this? And he says, "Oh, well, I, I just I just call them the way they are, yeah. right? If it's a ball, I call a ball. If it's a strike, I call a strike." And then there's the there's the 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 umpire that's been doing this for ten years. He's like, "That's not how it happens." He says, "He says if I see a ball, I call it, right? And if I see a strike, right? Like so, he's acknowledging that there's like he may not, it may not be that entirely." And the veteran umpire is like, "He says he says nope, that's not the way at all." It's what it's the way I call it. If I call it a ball, it's a ball. Yeah. Right. And and that's the thing that happens with with people. Right. You know, so when somebody says you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what anybody says. But it's when you look in the mirror and you look at yourself and say, oh, yeah, I am beautiful. Yeah. That's that's the only that's the only voice that matters, even though. Even though we talk about it like it's what other people say, but it's not. It's because it's it's what's going on in our own mind. And so, if you get told enough that you're stupid yeah. or you don't belong, you eventually you if, and you get and you have so much evidence piling up that I'm not wanted here, right? Or that somebody thinks that I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. You start to believe it, right? And I think that's what happens for girls in science, right? In STEM, is that they uh, they get told enough. Right. You know, I, I, there's so many stories and both men and women. Right. You know, one of my one of my best friends in grad school um, was told that he was an idiot and he, you know, he shouldn't go into math. Right. And he got his physics degree. Right. You know, so, you know, it's it's I think it's imp there's no such thing as a bad idea. Right. When you're when you're with a young kid, yeah. all of their ideas are great. Right. Even the weird ones like the spirit, the little cat they see, you know, you know, or, you you know, I see I see dead people. Right. You know, <laughs> my daughter, if she's like, I don't know why you showed us that movie. That movie was terrifying. But I found out years later is because that was her. Yeah. Right. 
she didn't know what to do with it either. So, like how many times you know you have a little girl, you know, don't play in the mud, right? Or don't do. It. How many times you tell kids, like parents tell kids, don't jump the mud puddle, but like jump the mud puddle is like it's better for them, right? They learn the stuff. Not only that, but it's probably good for their their immune system as well, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so they're healthier all the way around. So let's talk about your own business. Yeah. So first of all, like for your business. How do you figure out your price model, right? I think so many people, they start a business, they like charge way too less, right? Yeah. Like, how do you make sure, like, charge the value needed without, you know, like, without price gouging your customer? Like, how do you come to a balance? Uh, yeah, I, um, it's, it's so funny because there, it, it all depends on how I'm feeling about myself too, right? You know, um, I, you know, I was working for, uh, I was working for somebody, right? And, and there, and, I, and I was like, okay, just, just go like say the the biggest thing right and i was and i was like okay i'm gonna ask for 150 dollars an hour right and uh she's like great right and you know it's like and you're like damn i said for 300 exactly, an hour. right and in that damn moment it. right and so but then there was like and then i had to deal with that that's how much i'm worth right you know th that's how much i'm worth and the funny thing is i mean 150 that's a lot of money then again it's not a lot of it's not a lot of money right especially like the kind of the kind of expertise that i bring to things now and to you know, to be straight about it, I haven't I haven't upped my rates since I did that, right? Because that was like such a freaking breakthrough, right? You know, like you know, um, but then you know, and I've had and I've had people say, well, I'll, I, I'm I'm willing to pay you seventy five dollars an hour, right? And so you know, and you know, and I can take that or not, right? But there isn't there is a, and I'm I you know I'm kind of privileged right now in that I can you know, I don't have to work. Right. Cause I've, cause I've, I've found like, uh, you know, I just, I, I left a salaried position. Right. And then I just took a break. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do anything for a while. And that's when I started like reading up on psychedelics yeah. and like learning about the whole world and experimenting in that, in that realm. And, and then, I'm, uh, I also, I sing for a, uh, threshold choir. So I left, I left the Catholic church and, you know, and then started singing for threshold, which is singing for people on the threshold of life. Right. And so there's that, there's that whole world of how we are about death, right? We're awful about death, right? We don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, things like that. So, you know, they, they, that's one of the things I'm committed to is just transforming how we, how we relate to death. Right. And so like, I want to do some of that and I like riding my bike. And so I volunteer while riding my bike kind of thing. And I realized that how much, how much do I need? Really? Like how much do I need? And I've, a, a lot of time I've, I've based it based on that. Right. You know, I've got a, you know, I, I'm consulting on a grant that's in at the NIH, at the NIH. And I, you know, I said 150 an hour, right. But, you know, I'm working on this other project that I love that for just well, say based on what you need and your value be two different things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, you know, th this other project that I love and, you know, they don't have a whole lot of money. And so I, you know, charge 50 bucks an hour. Cause yeah. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I, I definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think you have one price. You gotta be, like you said, like kind of like a, yeah. Thanks for right. Yeah. And I, um, you know, and I, I've also found in the past, like where I've chased the money that it never went well, right? It never went well, yeah. right? You know, I remember there was this, there was one point where I was like, okay, I could either go for a post postdoctoral position or I could go work for this, this other company, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to get more money going for the company. So I went to work for them and it turns out that I was going to be paid way less than I would have been paid as a postdoc, mm -hmm. right? And I, you know, ended up being fired from that company because, you know, 
wasn't that great anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. I ended up in neuroscience anyway. Right. But it was, a uh, yeah. So there's, there's an element of, um, every time I've gone, I've chased the money. It hasn't been, it hasn't been what I love to do. Right. And I, and I've, I've found my constitution is like, I don't, I don't want to work for the weekend. Right. I really do. You know, when I take a job, I really want it to be intellectually stimulating and, and give me, you know, what I need elsewhere as well. Cause there's, you know, there's a lot of the value that I provide doesn't, isn't paid for. Right. Like I, you know, one of the things that I do is I create a really great space. Right. You know, so like people can, people can say all sorts of things to me and right. And I can, you know, I can, I can talk to people and give them, you know, what they need, like to empower them. Um, you know, and that I've never been paid for that, but I've been doing that for 20, 30 years. So, so talk about this, talk about your process of basically this, like the whole process of journey from becoming, going, going from working somewhere else to deciding to be an entrepreneur. So start going to cover like how to talk yeah. about the whole thing. Um, well, the, the, the first time I, I did it, which was, uh, right after I left. So it was about uh, 2004, I was like, I don't know how to do, I don't like, I don't know how to, I don't have any experience. So I w- became a freelance science writer. Right. And that was, that was kind of cool. Right. You know? And so I, I did, I did some weird, uh, some weird jobs. And then I eventually, um, went to work as a program manager. So just so that I could get that kind of experience. But, um, and this last time I, you know, I applied for several different jobs just to be, you know, employee someplace and to just continue that, that whole life, like insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I, one of the things that I noticed is that I was afraid that I wouldn't have insurance, right? Like that whole thing. You know what? So many people are like scared to do something because of insurance, right? Exactly. It's right? a freaking fucking shame. Isn't it? Right. You know? And so, and I was like, like okay, I almost say this bullshit nine to five job making $20 an hour. Instead of like, I know how to do this great thing. We'll make yep. a millionaire. Right. Insurance. Yeah. It, because of insurance. Right. And so, um, I, I realized that, that I had that fear. Right. And so then I, now I'm just like, just buying my own insurance. That's fine. I'm just going to buy my own insurance. And once I did that, right, because I couldn't find the other thing is, is I like, I kept interviewing at places and, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been in enough places where the environment was toxic and I'm like, I don't. I don't. I, and you can usually tell right off, like the interview. Well, sometimes. So the, there was one place that I worked that it was it was it was my dream job. It was amazing. I loved it. And then then um, then there was a like a reorganization, and I got moved into a different department. And you know, and I started working for this empire building. She she, she was horrible. Jackass motherfucker. Yeah. So she was horrible, right? And I. And I was like, I was miserable because that was going to be my last job, right? I loved working there, and uh, and then the reason I the reason I left is, you know, I, I went to a, a, you know, I was mentoring, I was I was mentoring some kids in science, right? And uh, the there was a, a a VP of HR who was talking, and he and that's when he said, you know, most managers are awful; they don't know how to manage, and people don't leave a company; they leave a manager. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had to leave that company. So I'll push back that I don't think people leave companies for bad managers. People leave companies that tolerate bad managers. Yeah. Well, almost nobody has a great management program. Like, yeah. you know, you no, promote don't. somebody for doing a good job into a management position, but then they don't give them the skills that yeah, they what need. It's called, I think it's called the Peter Principle. With the uh, Peter Principle, yeah. Or like yeah. You, you're promoted outside your expertise. Yeah. And so... 
Um, and, and so, uh, you know, when I was interviewing, I was looking for positions that I, I was mostly looking, okay, like, could I do this job? You know, this job is interesting, right? You know, that's intellectually stimulating all this. And then I, I just went all in, like, tell me about the company. And, and you could, you could tell by how they would talk about things. And, and after, you know, for like, it was interview after interview, I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to work there. Yeah. Right. And so then I was like, well, hell shit, what do I do now? Right. And then, uh, and so then I was like, well, you know, and, and, and in the meantime, I was, I was doing stuff like, you know, I, I started volunteering more for the food bank mm -hmm. and, and then I was singing more and then getting my, getting trained to be a hostess, hospice, um, volunteer. And I like all, all this time, you know, my mom lives at home and she's getting older. And then, you know, my, you know, the whole thing about COVID, like yeah. supporting my kids, like coming out of that whole hellscape, right. All of that. Like, there's a lot of other things. And I was like, I really like not working 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Like, what if I, what if I could work 20 hours a week? And I'm like, wow, I don't, I could, yeah, I could easily work 20 hours a week and have all the stuff that I want. Right. Easily, and, yeah. and do, and do the things that are fulfilling. Right. Like go on this spiritual journey. Right. You know, yeah, one so. thing I tell people when they're for a job, like, oh, first of all, if you're in for a job, you ask questions, right? Yeah. So I tell people, if you're in for a job, you just like a panel of four, three or four people, ask them what you not like about this company. Oh yeah. And like, you miss, people would be surprised how honest people are, right? Well, they, t they and they talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Because I always ask them, you know, I ask stuff like, uh, what kind of management training you got? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and so there are some there like, you know, really excited about this. We've got this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. You know, and so, I, but mostly, you know, I, so there's very few companies that I think I would like to work for. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like to work for Maps, right? Yeah. That's, that's one of the companies oh, yeah. that I would like to work for. Right. <laughs> but um, again, you never know, right? You might be a toxic company, you know, like right? you never know, right? You never know. Ex it might be like, you know. Actually, I do I do lunch club dates. Have you ever done those? No. It's lunch club. It's just a networking thing. I, I started doing it when I when I went remote um, because I was like at home, right? And I wanted, you know, I'm an extrovert. And so then I, you know, I'd get to leave once a week and go have coffee with a total stranger and talk yeah. about stuff. Right. Okay. You know, and the algorithm, algorithm was pretty good. So I was usually matched up with people who had, who were interesting people. Right. Yeah. And so, and, I, and I've been doing that lately and, uh, there's why there was a reason I was telling you that, but, um, uh, looks updates meeting people. Yeah. Maps was maybe maps is toxic. Oh, uh, uh, they never know until you actually walk in a place. Yeah, no, I have no idea why I was why I was saying all that. But I was just talking. Oh, I was just talking. I was talking to somebody, and they said something. It was so true, and I can't remember what it was. So no worries. That's also the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So, um, what is what is like scientific communication? Um, it's uh, it's it's finding a way to communicate a complex subject mm -hmm. in such a way that it it becomes relevant to you. Okay. So, um, you know, you know, there, uh, quantum loop gravity, right? Like that's a fascinating topic, right? And, and, uh, it's, uh, Ravelli. What's his name? I think it's Marco Ravelli. Ravelli. He wrote a book that makes that accessible, mm -hmm. right? You know, like I, and I haven't been able to find anybody who writes, who writes about string theory to make it accessible to me right yet. Um, and, uh, and so it, being able to, maybe it's using analogy or, or maybe it's talking about why it's relevant, but you have a conversation that has 
uh, what it is that you want to talk about um, be relevant to you? Right? Like, you know, who cares why, why, why ants have sex or if they, they <laughs> probably don't. Right. But I don't know. Right. But who cares about that? But then why is that interesting to you? Like, why is it relevant to you? And so um, being able to talk about it. Right. And, you know, and some, you got, sometimes you just got to like, you got to keep working, working at it. Right. Like, oh, that's not relevant at all. Like you don't care, you know, you know, like the, I was fascinated by whether or not a, uh, protein gets phosphorylated when it gets activated, right? You know, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about that, right? But they, but they are interested in, um, you know, why is it that some people are uh, more tolerant to drugs, and why is it that some people become addicted to drugs, yeah. right? Those particular drugs, like that's interesting, right? And that's on the big, you know, and sometimes. Sometimes you have to abstract it out enough that it's, you know, you're not actually asking the, the exact question that's going to solve that problem, but you're, but you're building a, uh, a network of knowledge or a network of understanding to be able to be able to probe that question, to be able to understand it. That's a great point. Like a lot of people are like, well, no, like let me feel the answer. But the biggest thing is like, are you answering, are you asking the right question? Right. Like uh, is the question asking what you need to answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and sometimes it's not right, but, you know, but sometimes, and sometimes you have to ask a different question before you can answer that question. And then, then you're off on a tangent. Right. And so, you know, like we found something interesting here. Right. And we just kept going there and we never answered that question. So it's like, you know, there's something about, you know, following your nose, like following, following where you get interested, you know? And I think that's kind of why I love science because, you know, you can just start with something like, you know, dirt's interesting, right? Like I like dirt, right? And then you could start. I mean, if you're a farmer, you better be damn interested in dirt. Exactly. Right. But then, then you can do all sorts of things like, like what can I grow in this dirt? Right. Or the dirt in India is definitely different in North America versus from this and place, you know, like this dirt grows this, this dirt grows that. You yeah. Know? And this, like, there's living stuff in this dirt. Mm-hmm. I didn't know so much stuff could live in this dirt, yeah. right? You know, like how far down before things aren't living in the dirt, right? Yeah, you can put, like, you, like, you, like, you dig it in your front yard, like this, like, worms, moles, like. Right? There's all sorts of stuff, right? And so there's, so, you know, if you just, fo- and you can see the tangents, right? You can mm-hmm. follow any of those. So I love, I love uh, letting people explore that, right? I, I love it when people are curious. Right. So let's suppose someone's out there. They could be eight years old, forty-five years old, whatever the age, right? Yeah. They're like, you know what? I, you know, and they have like a let's say you have a high school diploma, right? Or let me backtrack. You can't have like hopefully you don't. You maybe have a high school diploma eight, right? Yeah. Or when you age, right? You're curious, right? They're like, you know what? I want to be a scientist. What advice you have for them? Um, do it. Do it. And and here's the here's the other thing. It's you already are a scientist. Mm-hmm. You just don't, you know, you don't have any credentials. There's a, there's a, there's a way to science, mm-hmm. right? But if you are curious enough to say, I want to be a scientist, then you already are, okay. right? You, you're science minded, you're curious, go for it. Just, you know, start experimenting, right? Like there, there are, there are technicalities that you need to know, right? Like, you know how to, you need to know how to reproduce an experiment, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause, cause otherwise you don't really know for sure what happened, Right. And mostly because of entropy and all of the initial conditions, we don't know what's happened anyway, but you can try and control it enough to be able to ask the right, the right kind of question to be able to answer the thing that you're looking for, but not when you get into complex systems. So, yeah. So it's, wow, there I go. Tangent again. (laughs) What does it mean to be peer reviewed? Um, 
So you write a paper and you have an idea and you think that you've uh, come to a conclusion about something and you've done a whole bunch of experiments. And so you write it all up. So, and you, you just write up the, the pertinent ones and then you take that document and you give it to other scientists to look at. And so- Does it matter the level of scientists? Like, does it matter the scientists? Like one year scientist, 25 year scientists? Uh, people would probably say, yeah, it, that, that that matters. Um, the peer review process is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a job that scientists do that they don't get paid for, right? You know, the, the public funds- So it's like the good, good of the scientific community. Exactly. It, it really is, you know, and, uh, and so, and, and then sometimes, so the idea is ideally you wouldn't know who the authors are, right? Okay. You would just look at the science and look at the conclusions they came to. And, uh, hopefully you would have enough, like there's, there's some people who have enough experience to know, okay, you can't do that experiment and get the right results unless you have the right buffer. It can be, it can be scientists in the United States, India, China, Russia. Right. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, but mostly, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I, I've never been an editor for, uh, but so one of the jobs of an editor is to find people who'd be willing to read other people's papers and then to comment on them. And then, unfortunately. I'm guessing these papers, like, no, there's not like, like a one page that's like, it's like these, like, like. Oh, like, yeah. Full big documents. Ass, yeah. Full documents, yeah. Yeah, with all the experiments and sometimes supplementary information. And depending on the level of the journal, right? You know, you've got to So make, it's not a one hour job. No. No. You're yeah. like you're dedicating me some a good amount of time. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of time to look at. And then and then also, so you may be able to see right away that this this is problematic. Like you shouldn't do you shouldn't do this kind of an experiment to to get the the answer here, or you shouldn't have done this kind of statistics to determine if something actually happened you know that was when i when i moved from physics into biology right but there was a there was one of my best friends in grad school he was also a physicist and uh and then we moved into biology and and our our advisor was talking about says so in biology you know you've got something like this you know so it's like 50 50 chance that there's something happening and then you change it and maybe there's a 30 percent. and i was like how do you know anything ever happened? Because in physics, it's like, yes or no, it's like 99.9%, right? And he was like annoyed, right? Because because it's like, you know, so it's like sometimes you have to do, because the systems are so noisy, right? You know, you know, ecosystems are crazy noisy, right? You do statistics to see like, is this actually, is this a statistically significant result that we found? And so, um, and so, you know, sometimes the statistics are wrong. Maybe the experiment was fine, or maybe there was something missing in the experiment, or maybe they missed a control, right? Like you should also measure this. You know, that's, that's one of the things that cracks me up about psychedelics, right? Is that, um, you know, um, in all drug studies, you have to have a placebo control, right? Which means that they're not getting the drug, but they don't know whether or not they're getting the drug, except that if you're on a, a psychedelic, you almost always know that you got, you got the the drug, right? Yeah. So, you don't get it. You, you probably know too, you know, exactly. Unless, you, unless you never had it, I guess. Well, no, it's not, not, well, yeah, maybe, right. They, they talk about, you know, uh, I was, I was talking to somebody about it. He says, no, you have to have a placebo tr control. And I was like, well, how are you going to do that with a psychedelic? Right. You know, there's, there's this joke, right. Where you've got all these people sitting around on a sectional, right. And they're looking at this, the group in the center, there's, there's like five of them in the center and they're all naked and they're dancing and yeah. they're holding hands. They're like, well, I guess, I guess we know who got the placebo. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's you know, funny. so yeah, so there's, you know, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's funny too, like back, there was a, 
they, when they were doing um, vaccines, right? Doing uh, uh, vaccines. One of the one of the questions that anti-vaxxers would say is, well, did they control this study, mm-hmm. right? Like the you know, or doing a drug study, and and uh, and in some of the cases, like you would never for if you were a parent taking your kids in for vaccines, you would never withhold the vaccine from them because that's, that's what we're doing, right? Where you're coming for a vaccine, right? And I guess with, with trials, it's different. Like they, they actually, they, they do do some, but, but a, a lot of the questions that would be asked of, of around vaccination is like, well, did you do the controls? Have they been yeah. doing the controls? And you're like, we don't do that, right? Like some of those, some of those experiments, you just don't do controls, right? Cause it'd be, um, it would be uh, ethically wrong to withhold the drug, withhold the, withhold the treatment, withhold the medication, right? So. So you're talking about like doing experiments on mouses, right? So um, brain experiments. So like, is there really a difference like to mouse brains, monkey brains, human brains? Are they, is the brain a brain to a certain extent? Um, well, you know, there was a, there was an exercise we did at the Allen Institute, right. Where we actually took a picture of, of a neuron, right. And the, and the idea was for you to be able to tell, is this a, is this in a mouse brain or is this in a human brain? Now that we took the scale bars off because there is a difference in size, right. But, you know, there are the, you know, there, there are enough similarities, right. That you could, you know, like a liver cell, you know, sometimes it's hard, it's hard to tell, where did this come from? Right. So is this from a, is this from a human or is it from a mouse? Right. So, um, so in that, in that aspect, right. When you get down, if you reduce it all the way down, like, you know, there, and, and, you know, there, there are genetic differences as well. Like for some reason, you know, in in the phylogenetic tree, you know, that, that this receptor in rats always uses this, amino acid versus in humans always uses this one, right? So there are, there are differences down at that level. But um, so, so there, depending on at what level you're looking at, um, there, there are definitely are differences and there are things that are incomplete, you know, like we have models for Alzheimer's in mice, but we don't fully understand Alzheimer's in humans. So we've got some of the markers of what we think is Alzheimer's in humans in mice. And we call that an Alzheimer's model. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's, there's a, a lot of ways in which the extrapolation, we extrapolate, but we don't know for sure if it's an accurate model of what it is that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so for your own, own company, what actually does your company do? Why don't we backtrack? So for your own company that you have, is that, are you a consultant or do you have your own company or company? I, I'm a consultant, yeah, and I've got my own LLC. So LLC. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk about like how you how you started this journey? Yeah, and then like the, what you focus on now, what you see your future plans are. Yeah, so um, so I worked for a startup a company that was the the graph database, and it's a ex- extraordinary platform. And um, when I started working when I started working there, it was uh, mostly customized, so based on. The clients that we were working with and what they what they wanted, but what we what we really wanted was a a uh, a product that we could just chip, right? And then people would use the product and the different features. Um, and uh, so I worked with 
with, I worked with our clients. So depending on, you know, their academics and industry and government. So we worked across, you know, across all the, the different kinds of industries, mostly what they had in common is they had a complex problem that we were mapping, we were mapping their ecosystem. Um, and so I did a lot of working with the clientele to understand their problem and to see how we could, we could help them. And then, um, sending that information back to the dev team. Um, the, it's a start, it was a startup. And so the runway got really short. And so, um, uh, the, the company downsized to work solely on the project and I was doing a lot of the consulting stuff. And so, um, the consulting like stuff, right? So, um, I, so I, I still use that platform, right? And I, and I work with people who have complex problems. So I, I'm, I like they, they will refer people to me to work with them. So, and I, and I, and I also work with people who just have a complex problem that they're trying to understand or innovate around. Um, so that's, that's how it started. Right. And, uh, and I, I find that I like that. Like, I like being able to work with people who are, and when I say a complex problem, I don't mean like, you know, a complicated, a complicated problem is going to the moon. Right. But there's like, it's specific. It's like, you can, you can do that. You can do that with just notebooks. Right. And looking at charts. Right. Um, but a complex problem is like, how do we, how do we have people live on the moon? Like, what is that going to take to have it, to have a, a viable colony on the moon? That, that's a complex problem. Right. And, and most of the complexity is going to be in the relationships. Right. And so that's why a graph database. Right. And so it's like, it's being able to, so I like working with somebody to be able to map out their, their ecosystem. And especially in like in business, you know, if you have a couple people working in the business, they'll have an idea of what their system looks like. Right. But they don't know that their, their own personal models are distinct from each other until you put it into, put it into a boundary object, object, like I said earlier, right. A way to be able to look at it and see, oh, okay. I didn't think our, I, I didn't relate to the, our model. Like this thing is connected to this thing. And then, and then it goes on to do this thing. Right. I actually was thinking more from like the production point of view, right. Like they have a different point of view and you can actually have them align their models. So I like working on those kinds of complex circumstances um, because it's it's really easy in those cases to like make it to visualize it and to make it simpler and to be able to show them things that were hidden beforehand just to streamline the whole process and make it make it easier to either innovate or just to use the resources that they have or just to keep track of shit. So who is your perfect customer and how do you find them? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, so the 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 perfect customer is somebody who is um, they have a problem. They have a, a situation. They have something that they're working on and they realize that it's way more complex than they thought. And they're interested in finding a way to understand the problem. Right. And to to um, being willing to to look at different different avenues and somebody who understands like the, you know, um, a lot of people do and have relational databases. Right. Rows and columns like they understand most things don't happen in rows and columns. That just happened to be an easy way for us to like to be able to map it out to, to understand it. Um, people understand that we need to go beyond rows and columns to be able to to map out something that's pretty complex. Also, somebody who is in a position 
you know, there's a, there's, we call them facilitators. So they're, and, and they're not people who keep minutes and meetings, but, but somebody who like sees the big picture and realizes that if this person and this person were talking about the right kind of thing, that would be magic. Right. And so, um, but it's, and, and they're, they're often the people that are overlooked, right? Like they're the ones that like the, the glue that keep the company together. Right. But, um, you know, they're often the, the first people to get fired. And then later when they, when, when they go back and they're like, wow, I guess, I guess that person did do a lot. It didn't look like they were doing a lot here. You know, they just, you know, they talk to a lot of different people and all this kind of stuff so they're usually the ones that are, that are not, um, acknowledged or they, you know, it's, so it's the, the person who understands that kind of complexity and being able to get people in the right positions. So those so, are my perfect cups, customers. So funny. So if you're like, so I was an army officer army, I was facing a career, right? In 2ID, right? And so I've been like two or three months, right? And this one guy, he's like a PSC at the time, right? And I always walked by his desk. He was like, he had a computer screen, right? But he was like, he would never do nothing. Right? He just took his computer screen, right? So one day I, I, talk, I called like with three people below me like, hey, what's going on with this guy, right? Like he does nothing, right? We got to get rid of him. And all said at the same time, sir, if we get rid of him, we'll all get fired. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Let's get this guy promoted then, right? Right. I so, no clue what he did, right? Yeah. I know what he's supposed to do, but he's like doing stuff like, oh, he's doing all this stuff, right? I had no idea what he did, right? It's my people told me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So it's, I like working with those people that are like the hubs of all of it, you know, who have their hands in a lot of, a lot of different things and understand what's having the thing work. Cause also if they're, if they're in that position and they understand it, right, they, they, they're committed to. They're committed to something. They're committed to moving the needle in some aspect. And I, I love working with people like that. I love working with people who are, um, who are, are committed to making a difference. Like they really do. They really are interested, you know, making money is fine. Right. But you know, it's, it's like the, the least I mean, until they thing. bring in the UBI, you got to make some money, right? <laughs> right. Right. So. Or hit the lottery. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, or have you know, a rich uncle. but have that, but having that, having that be like, you know, uh, you know, I like doing this thing and it happens to make me a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus, you know, like I'm doing this to make enough money. Right. I'm doing, you know, like that's, you know, I find that that's I mean, the what's least the question interesting. People say, you know, you want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but work eight hours a week, or do you want to make fifty thousand and do it how you want to? You know. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, right? You know, uh, and you know, I I'm lucky enough that I could ask. You know, I could actually, I could do that. Like, I don't have to make a whole. I, like, I don't. I, I'm not in. I'm not in. Um, like survival mode, mm -hmm. right? You know, I like the, there's an there's an element. You know, I'm I'm old enough that I have very few fucks left to give, right? So I'm very spare with the fucks that I <laughs> that's, hand that's out. That's one thing I look. I wish like most people like learn earlier, especially me. Like the earlier you learn not to give a fuck, you know, the exactly. better your life is, right? Right. I know it's it's so frustrating for watching my kids, you know, especially when they were like eighteen ish, right? Yeah. You know, oh, all the fucks they yeah. give, man. Oh, why do I have dress? Why this, this, that? You right. know, like and, I, and people think all the time, like, oh. They care what I drive, what I wear. Yeah, or I can't. No one cares. I can't say that to people. Yeah, right. So, what do you like about science? What do you what do you not like about science? Um, I I'm going to start with what I don't like first, right? And I and I don't like the the structures that we have, right? You know, it'd be you know I really liked I really liked working at the Allen Institute, right? You know, because there was this billionaire who. Um, 
who had an interest in the brain and he was going to do something. He was like using his money to do something that nobody had ever done before. And, uh, and he actually, he, he did the same thing as the NIH did, right? Only what was different is he had, um, all of this computing power. He put all of this, this web app development on top of the data so that you could actually, um, uh, query the data itself to understand how the brain was working. I loved what he did with his money. And I was like, it reminded me of back in the, in the, uh, like in the old, old times where the Medici's would like, you know, they would have, a, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the scientists would have a patron. Right. Um, so I, so I don't like the system in which science has to be done these days. Like how, how it, um, I think it, it, uh, it stifles creativity and innovation, right? And because there's just not, there's just not, um, and that there's definitely a survival atmosphere, a scarcity atmosphere. Like there's not enough money to go around for people to have ideas that aren't going to pan out, mm -hmm. right? But that's what science is, right? And so, um, and I, the thing I love about it is just is 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 a, it's a it's a it's a way to understand your world. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and the more, you know, I was pretty clear when I first started that it was the way to understand your world and it's not right. I, it's, it's a way, it's a filter that you can understand your world and it's, um, and it's fun, right. You know, there's so many things that you can do with science that are just a blast. Like TikTok was awesome for that. Right. Cause you can start to see some of the experiments that people are doing that are just Awesome. The stuff from TikTok, it gives a lot of credit, but the stuff that people do with TikTok is amazing. I know it's awesome, right? I appreciate those creators, and uh, and I think that that Mark Zuckerberg is is damn right. He wants to get TikTok shut down. He needs because, to be scared. Yeah, no, he wants to get TikTok shut down because that you know it's gonna it's gonna ruin Facebook, right? <laughs> Which wouldn't be a bad thing. So, so what do you do to take care of yourself? I walk. I have um, I have animals around. I have cats and dog and chickens. Um, I meditate. I meditate every day. I uh, I sing. I, uh, I I volunteer. You know I I deliver groceries for the food bank. Right. You know on my bike. Right. You know it's like, so I get to exercise as well as do that. Um, uh, I I did this thing called the artist's way. Uh, right. You know, I'll take myself on a date, right. You know, just to, you know, to, de to decompress. Right. Um, so I, I, uh, I do shamanic journeys, right. I let my imagination go when free and visit other worlds. Right. You know, so I, uh, um, and I do, uh, uh, a lot of the work. So one of the things about, um, doing, doing psychedelics as a, especially as a, as a way to expand your consciousness, right. Is, you know, there are lessons that you learn in there, right. You know, the, the, the first time when I had that, the really disappointing journey, right. And then I felt pity for myself. And then I saw myself just like go hard on that. Like, you know, like how hard I was on myself, right. Like that I would even pity myself, right. Like there's a lot of integration work to be done, like the lessons to be learned, right? Like if, if, if it is, if the, if the basic message is love, right. And you don't love yourself, go to work on that. Right. Because there's nothing, there's nothing there for you not to love. Right. There's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. There's, you know, a lot of people have, um, feel like they under they understand themselves better than anybody else. 
right? And so they think that they're right when there's when they're when they're picking on the thing that's wrong with themselves. So you know, I you know, uh, there's a lot of inter- integration work that I'm that I'm doing, right? You know, like the taking taking apart all of the assumptions that I have in the, uh, in the world. So there's a lot of introspective work on that one. A lot of journaling. I like to write. So I do, I do a lot of the, that work that way, like sorting stuff out like that. So what's something you do that you want to get better at? Um, blogging. Blogging. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I used to blog just because I fucking loved it. Right. Like, you know, I was, uh, sitting down and they were pulling down a tree from in front of the the school across the street. And I, I had the thought like, do trees have, do trees feel pain? And then I went, (laughs) I looked it up and I was like, found all this stuff and I wrote it up really quick and I didn't care about, you know, how accurate it was or anything. I posted it. Right. It was like, it was awesome. Right. And I did a lot of that. And then, and then, um, it's, you know, they're like, I, I started caring about, you know, who was reading and if there were, if people were reading it and then, you know, I had to be like more accurate and then, yeah. you know, and then people would say things like, no, 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 you, you know, you need to be like more rigorous. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's just banter. Right. You know? So, um, I want to go back to being carefree about it. Okay. Right. As opposed to, as opposed to yeah. doing it right or doing it. Yeah. Three kids, right. I do. All the, all the, out of the house now, high school age, college age. Uh, there two of them are out of the house. One of them is, is still at home. Okay. So how do you do this? How do you make sure like you didn't influence them? Like how for this, like how as a parent do you make sure like you don't influence them to like, follow your path? Like, like not, not prefer to be a scientist, but like follow their own path. Like give them the freedom at the same to do that. That of course makes any sense. Well, that's yeah. Like they're, uh, um, you know, that whole thing that I said about give them a space, enough space to find themselves without getting themselves killed. Right. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, my, uh, my kids all shared with me when they started doing drugs, right? You know, um, they shared with me when they started having sex, right? Because there was, we provided a space for them to, to know no matter what was going on that we loved them, right? You know, um, and so the, they, they do know that, right? And they've told us now that they, they, and they've told us several times that they appreciated how we are. So, but, you know, and I check in and sometimes I get worried, right? You know, I, they're, you know, the, like I said, COVID would, did some horrible things uh, for mental health, right? And, you know, all of my kids struggled, right? They were, they, they all dealt with a whole bunch of stuff, but they, but they talked to, they talked to us about it, right? And, um, and then, you know, Scott and I work stuff, my husband is Scott, Scott and I work stuff out in front of them, right? You know, so they, so that they, they know that there's a, you know, there's this whole thing, you know, like, you know, my mother-in-law was coming into town and I'm like, do I take my flipping off uterus off, you know, that flag? And I was like, nah, right. I'm just going to leave it and we'll, we'll, we'll have whatever conversations that come up. But, you know, they were, they were around for that. So they, they, they know that, you know, we struggle with stuff and, you know, we, we talk to them about stuff and they think we're way too affectionate, which makes me happy. So, <laughs> so you, you, you consider yourself a socialist, right? Yeah. What does that even mean? Like, what does that mean? What's the definition uh, yeah, yeah. of that? I, well, I, uh, I mean, for, there is what's, a definition. What's there your is, definition? Yeah, what's for, the for me, society definition? For me, is like I, I, I just want people to be taken care of, and I think that socialists care more about people than any other political party. 
right? And, you know, they care less about money and more about people. And I think, you know, uh, for those who care more about pe- about money than they do about people, right? Like if, if for some people, people are a way to get money, right? You know, that's, I, I can definitely see why they don't like socialism because, you know, I think we should spend money on people, right? I'm fine with spending money. That's what, that's, that's what we created it for is to spend it. You know, we didn't create it to hoard it. It's a fucking conversation, right? So <laughs> spend it. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, so do you think socialism or like is different in different countries or socialism or socialism? Well, I think, um, I think different countries will, I don't know, do I think socialism is socialism? Um, the people always say, like, I, yeah. like social United States will say, well, I might have failed in Cuba or whatever country, but right. we, we haven't done it here yet. Yeah, which is BS, right? You know, uh, I think um, I think different, com- again, it's all interpretation, right? Different companies, com- companies, different countries interpret it differently. And so that's, you know, that's what... Uh, you know, that's what they they uh, they they see what they're doing as socialist or not socialist. Right. You know, we look at we look at, you know, our our the powers that be that be here, you know, would like to think that we're not socialist. But, you know, I, I think with the fact every time that, a bank fails, we're a socialist country. Exactly. Right. At any time, any time one of the big crone, one of the, the, the cronies fails that we yeah. bail them out. But, you know, um, it used to be that that we, uh, you know, we paid for the roads and we paid for education. You know, um, in New Mexico, actually, they've got uh, uh, any kid can actually go to go to school for free. And part of the, why they did that is because they were 49th in education, right? They were worse than the South, right? And so they started putting money into education, which which. Um, you know, some some countries are like, well, yeah, of course, like that that doesn't even that is doesn't even figure into their socialist. You know, you know the the universal health care for some countries. Well, like of course, like healthcare is like. You know, my dad my dad said this great thing. He said the difference between the the United States and Canada is that in Canada, owning a gun is a is a privilege and healthcare is a right. Yeah, it's very very Yeah, so. I know a lot of people like say like I'll make this up. So like the, the people complain, like criticize, like I, I, I would say Sweden, right? Sweden is a socialist company or whatever. There's no entrepreneurship, but based on all the like KPIs, Sweden is way, way more of an entrepreneur country than the United States is. Yeah. Even though they're quote unquote socialist. Right. And that's, that's because they don't have to worry about the basics. They don't have to worry about healthcare, right? They can, they can say, screw it, man. Well, like COVID here, like that was damaging, right? You know, the fact that, um, when people lost their jobs, they lost their insurance and then they caught COVID and they were fucked. Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know, the, the countries that don't have to, that are, they're not worried about their health care. They can be more innovative than we can. Yeah. I will push back a little bit. So I'm retired from the army, right? We have like you know, free, free Medicare. Yeah. It's basically socialized medicine. And like, man, you know, you might not want to risk for the socialized medicine sometimes, right? Because like it takes like one or two months to get an appointment, you know. Now, get me wrong, like, I've had a soldier surgery, it's, it's free now, but man, yeah. this, it took me like a year to get to that point, right? Okay, so um, that's not socialized, right? Like, that is, and look at, look at how people want to take that away, mm. right? It is the basic fucking minimum yeah. that, that you deserve, 
right? It literally is the basic minimum and it's, and it's not enough, yeah. right? You know, the, the fact that they're, and they talk about 22 vets a day committing suicide is yeah. that's low. That it, number, that is, way that is that. it's way higher sure than is. that. Right. But, you know, um, Beto O'Rourke was, was sharing at that, at that veterans conference that I was at, how, um, they, uh, at, they were at the VA and all of these Vietnam vets were, were upset. It was like a town hall or something. They're upset about not being able to get an appointment for their mental well-being. And the younger vets that had just come back from Afghanistan were like, fuck, if they're, if they can't get what they need, there's no way I'm going to get what I need. And right. And, and you know, one of the, one of the kids that came back from that committed suicide the next day. Right. So it's, um, it's not socialized medicine, right? Okay. It's not, it is the bare fucking minimum, yeah. right? You know, I, you know, I have to, we pay, my mom pays extra so that she's got enough insurance that Medicare will cover it. Right. And so, um, you know, in other countries, you know, when other, when other countries complain about their basic medical care, it's ridiculous, right? Cause they're, it's like, you know, the, the, the People in the United States pay way more for shittier healthcare than they yeah. get in other countries. So, so look at the, look at the, and, and, and there's different things, you know, like in, I grew up in London, Ontario, right? You know, it was, they had one heart hospital, right? They had, you know, and, and anybody had heart problems, they all went to that hospital, right? They weren't competing with each other because it wasn't, you know, the, the whole idea of having everything before profit, you know, was, was, you know, it's, it just doesn't work because if everybody has an MRI, then everybody has to pay for their MRI. Right. And then, you know, so, but what if you only have, you know, one or two hospitals that have MRIs, then you can send everybody over there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does MRI really cost $10,000? No, but to pay for the machine, they have to cover it somehow. Right. So, you know, you know, if, if the machine was already paid for, right. You know, so, and if you've got four machines in the, bu- in the building, That's true. right. And every po- hospital has four machines. And so they have to like compete for your, com- compete for your dollars so they can pay for their fucking machines. Right? Yeah. And you have the doctors like, you know, they have this tremendous amount of debt come out of a, a, a doctor's school, right? Mm-hmm. Say $300,000, right? Are they going to go like, do a, be a plastic surgeon? Help, do they have no one? Are going to go to a rural hospital, right? Mm-hmm. They got they have to make their money back, right? Yep. Right. And which is why, you know, there's, you know, socialist social programs for uh for uh debt forgiveness right so yeah that you know and what if what if um going to medical school like you know you got paid four hundred thousand dollars that's a lot of money right nobody needs you know a lot more than that you'd be surprised though apparently like 25 million dollars is like a you know it's interesting just how skewed my kids are when they hear about the kinds of salaries that people you know i was when my when I was little, my mom asked me how much money I wanted to make, and I said I, I was going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and and she laughed, right? Like nobody makes that much money now, right? Um, but I remember thinking that, right? You know, the 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 hundred thousand dollars wasn't that much. Yeah, right? that, that, back to that thing I, I saw AOC like some show, and of course I'm assuming she knows to talk about, but she said that eighty um, percent of Americans make sixty thousand dollars or less. Mm-hmm. And another thing, like, there's another show, it's actually a TikTok, right? They're interviewing these females, right? Like, trying to get, trying to get a husband, like, like, how tall you want your husband to be? I only date someone six foot one on tall. Well, you know, only 2% of the population is six foot tall. Yeah. Well, how much you want to make? Oh, 200,000. 
only one percent make two hundred thousand dollars or more, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, most people like five eight or below, and they make like fifty thousand dollars a year. Right. So it's a, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, though, like the, the, what we what we do to ourselves, like what you know the, uh, what the ideal, you know, our standards and ideals. Ideal. That's, that's fantasy land. Yeah, and you, you know, being able to being able to uh, take a look at those and take those apart every once in a while is a good is a good practice it's a good mental practice to be able to look at your assumptions it is cherry is anything else i asked you that i didn't or anything else you want to talk about no i uh no we talked about so many things i've really enjoyed this conversation thank you thanks (laughs) so before we get out of here can you give us any advice on anything you want to talk about um yeah and i said it earlier right uh anything that you tell your brain to do it will do it right anything. So if you want to learn something new and just try it out, try it as an experiment, right? You know, you're going to, you know, give yourself a year to learn something, right? And then, and if you just keep practicing at it just once a week, like you said, you know, you will be way far beyond what you thought, you know, and anything. And I mean that about anything, practice anything. So. So last question, how do you make sure that you make sure your brain tells you positive things to do versus telling you negative things to do? Um, you you got to notice. Right. I think I say meditate, you know, because because you'll all of a sudden you'll start to hear things that you'd never heard before. Like I I heard myself say somebody asked me something and the thought I had was what you think I'm stupid. And I was like, whoa, like I'd never heard that before. But but I heard it. And then I was like, do I do that a lot? And then I realized I did it all the time. Like nobody could say shit to me because who I was was what you think I'm stupid. Right. And in fact, in fact, this last little story, right. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, writing, uh, writing my very first grant. Right. And, uh, my, my advisor said, write 16 pages and we'll cut it down to three. And I was like, oh, that's dumb. You know, I don't want to write 16 pages. Right. And so finally it's like the, the grants due on Tuesday and I've got like four pages. Right. And I just, I took it to my advisor and I said, this is the right. He's a 16 page. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. Just tell me what I'm missing. He says, well, I need to see this. And I said, it's in there. And he goes, where? And I said, right here. And he goes, okay, it needs to be bigger. And I said, okay. And I said, what else? Right. And he's like, he says, I need to see this. I said, it's in there. And he said, where is it? And I, and I, and I was, okay, it's not in there. He says, but it needs to be in there. And I said, okay. Right. And we did this for like 30 minutes, right. Just back and forth. And then, and then I went home and I wrote, the, there's three there's three sections to it right the first section I turned that in or the second section turned that in the third section and he called me that Sunday right the grants due on Tuesday he calls me on Sunday he goes where did this document come from and I said you told me what to write and he goes he says but okay here's the problem with that I've had the conversation like I had with you three times in my life and the other two times not only did they never come back to the lab but they never came back to science and I was like, oh, okay, well, it's because I already dealt with my conversation that I'm stupid. I don't, I don't think I'm stupid anymore. So everything you said to me, I didn't take it personally, right? I really was asking, what do you want me to write in here? What do you think would, would get me funded? And he told me exactly what, and I, and I wrote exactly what he said. I didn't take any of it personally. And I was in the top 11% and I got funded my first grant. Nice. So what kind of award do you think this would be? Like, of course, those some people have no filters, right? What do they think they just say it? What if no one had a filter, right? Like, like you know, someone asked you, "What do you think of my suit?" That's shit as ugly as hell, right? Yeah, what if no one? Then. What if no one had a filter? Well, um, like, whatever came to mind, so, you just thought and said it. So, but on the other side, what if? What if um, you know your 
you know, what if, what if is sometimes, sometimes people say things, right. We call them crazy. Right. You know, but, but what if you also didn't take things personally? Yeah. Like what if, what if you were curious when somebody says that, like, you know, that's really stupid. Well, why, why do you think that's stupid? Right. Not taking it personally, like, Oh my God, he thinks I'm stupid. Right. And then like withdrawing or doing whatever it is. But, but what if you could like, why, why is that stupid? Right. Cause if you're really like asking somebody's opinion and they say it's stupid, well, why do you say it's stupid? Right. Cause or, or maybe this dress is ugly. Maybe it is. Right. You know, like, you know, view. like I shouldn't have worn this dress out in public. Right. And I actually had that thought because I could see the lines and all this, <laughs> but you know why, you know? So, but what if, what if we just didn't take things personally? What if, what if it, there That's was a good point? Yeah. So. All right. Last time. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? No. Hey, Thank you. Terry, really, thanks for being I, here. Really appreciate it. I really it. appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So. Um, as a reminder, check out the Kevin's HR fund, crowdfunding campaign at www.refunder.com.hr. Thanks for your time. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you. And remember to be great every day. You know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you?